five, four, three, two, one. Boom. Boom. Adam, what's up, man? How hey. you doing? It's good to be here today. It's good to be here, too, uh, with you and to talk. Whoa. I'm already knocking shit over. Can't be trusted. Um, your book, Alien Worlds yeah. and the Fate of the Earth. Yeah. All about it. That's deep shit, man. Just the, just the title alone, you're like, whoa. I love aliens. Everybody loves aliens. Everybody right. does, but... What are your thoughts on actual aliens and whether or not they've ever visited here? Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, sort of two things. So, first of all... Uh, we should tell everybody you have a background in science. I do. I'm an astrophysicist at the University of Rochester. So I run not, a research group that studies, like, stars and planets. And so you're not a crazy person I brought on here. No, no, no. I'm a card-carrying <laughs> scientist. I got my card and everything. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing research on, you know, astronomy, astrophysics for a long time. But I also do all this popular writing, like for NPR and New York Times. Uh, and the genesis of this book came, A, because I love science fiction. I've been reading science fiction since I was a kid. Uh, but also I do a lot of work on climate change. And so I deal with a lot of climate change denial. And what I realized was that, like, there's this way we talk about it that is, like, completely forgets about the fact that, like, we're probably not the first, you know. And uh, that led me to a whole bunch of research that eventually led to this book, you know, including one paper that we did that showed uh, that the odds that we're the only time it's ever happened, only, you know, the only civilization in the entire history of the universe, uh, the only way that that could be true is if uh, the odds per planet are one in 10 billion trillion, right? That's pretty low, right? So, if, you know, the, you know the, the odds of anything being one in 10 billion trillion, that's pretty freaking low. So um, it's probably happened before, you know? There's been other civilizations before ours. And once you realize that, man, that is like, you know, it changes everything about how we think about ourselves, you know, and what's happening to us right now. So of other civilizations before ours that have fucked things up. Well, that's kind of the premise, right? So yeah. that's what, you know, when you look at climate change, right? Basically what we, it is, is civilizations are giant machines for turning energy into work, right? You know, New York City, right? You sit over and you look at Manhattan, you're like, holy shit, right? right. You know, there's all this energy flowing into it. And then there's all this work being done, you know, to keep everything moving. And, uh, you know, there's no way not to have an impact. If you build a world girdling civilization, which, you know, that's what a civilization is there's going to be impact. So the whole point of my doing this book was to start looking at ourselves as just one of, you know, we're not alone, we're not the only time this has ever happened. Doesn't mean anybody's around now. Like that's a different question. But the idea that like it's never happened before, it meaning like, you know, you know, civilization, what's happening around us, like this machinery and everything that, um, you know, that just in the new world of what we understand about planets and shit, that is just like, you know, it's not tenable anymore. We got to wake up. The idea that some civilization has to be the first one that's that's what the only the only way you could ever think that we're the only ones is that some civilization has to be the first one even in a universe that's infinite yeah, like yeah. it has to happen one time right but the idea is are the conditions ideal in uh, you know a trillion different spots all over the the infinite spans of right the universe yeah and that's the thing right so what we've learned so you know one of my my trips right now is like this is not your grandfather's seti anymore right our understanding we went through this major revolution in our understanding of planets about 20 years ago so you look back at the greeks right and you can see them arguing about when he, whether any other stars had planets other than you know the sun mm -hmm. um and you know it goes back and forth you know some of the greeks were like yeah it's definitely happening and then like aristotle was like no we're the only world in the soul in the whole universe you know that has life um and then as time goes on it kind of goes back 
back and forth. And even at the turn of the la- of this uh, the nineteenth century, people thought planets were incredibly rare. That like they only, they thought the only way you could get a planet was if two stars passed really close to each other, and they kind of like taffy pulled out stuff that would eventually form a planet. And the odds of those kinds of collisions are so small that people were like, you know what? There's just no planets, and no planets, no life. You know, unless something really freaky is going on. Uh, but then 20 years ago, we discovered our first planet. Isn't that crazy star. when you really think about that 20 years is such Just, a short amount right, of time? 1998. Right. Yeah, yeah. And nobody knew before that. Like, nobody knew whether there were any planets, right? You know, when I was starting in astronomy, people were like, well, we don't know whether there's going to be any other planets. And we went from uh, – so the first one was actually 96, I think, 95, 96. Uh, from that to now, where we know that every freaking star in the sky has a planet, at least one you know, pretty much everyone. Pretty, I mean, the big, the giant ones, maybe not, but pr- they're, they're so rare that you know, pretty much every star you see in the sky has a family of planets around it. That is so nuts. It's, it's so, so nuts, nuts that this is such a new discovery. Yeah. I mean, when we think about what we know about the universe, we think that we've had a pretty good understanding of it for a long time. Right. But the fact that we didn't even know for sure that there are planets. Right, right. In my own lifetime, you know, people were teaching me when I was starting, like, you know, we just don't know. Maybe they're rare. And now we know for certain that they're everywhere. And the thing people have to realize is every one of those planets is a place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a place you could walk around. Some of them for sure are going to have oceans. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be rain falling. You know, I mean, like, they're all freaking places and they're all places where things can happen you know planets are basically like nature's way of taking sunlight and doing something interesting with it so you have 10 billion trillion planets in the universe right and every one of them is an experiment that's being run so you know the idea that like we're the first time it's ever now that we know that right now that we've gone through that revolution and understand that planets are like dime a dozen planets not we're not only talking about planets here we're talking about planets are in the right place for life to form so there's the idea of the habitable zone, right? So, you know, Mercury sucks. You cannot, you know, Mercury's so hot that there's no way anything's going to happen. And, you know, planets that are far, far enough out, they're going to be so cold, you know, they're so far away from their star that they're going to be so cold that, you know, it's hard to get liquid water on the surface. So we define the habitable or Goldilocks zone as the place where um, you can have, you can pour, you know, water onto the surface and it'll just sit there. It won't freeze and it won't, uh, you know, sort of just evaporate away. So uh, all these 10 billion trillion planets I'm talking about are all in the right place for life to form, you know? And so, like, with that many numbers, that many experiments being run, like, you got to be a psychotic pessimist to say that, like, this is the only time a civilization's ever happened. Right. But there's still no evidence yet. Obviously, we didn't even know that there really absolutely were planets until 20 years ago. Right. But we don't know for sure that there's something else out there. No, what? no. This is an argument by uh, – I call it like an argument by exhaustion. Mm-hmm. You know, if I gave you a bag of 10 billion trillion planets and you had to sort through all of them, right, the odds that you're going to – you're never going to find another one that, that built a civilization is pretty – you know, like I said, you're really asking for really serious pessimism. But, you know, we're just getting started with this game, right, mm-hmm. of looking for – Life. That's why I keep saying it's not. This is not your grandfather's SETI, where you like you point, you know, a, a radio telescope at a star and you kind of wait to see whether somebody's signaling you. Who knows whether they are signaling? Who knows right. what they'd be using? Now, what we can do because we got all these planets to stare at is, you know, we're going to be able to like stare at them as they pass in front of their star and get the light that passes through their atmosphere. So we're going to like, who knows what we're going to find? You know, we're not waiting for them to signal us anymore. Over the next, I swear to God, man, in the next thirty years, we're going to have data relevant to the question of life. Maybe not civilizations, that could happen too, but just life on other worlds, you know? And we've never had that before. All the arguments for the entire history of humanity have just been two dudes yelling at each other, mm. right? But in the next 30 years, because the stuff we're building, and now that we have, no, there's, there's uh, uh, planets, we're going to have real data to argue over with. So, man, it's like, this is, we're, we're in a whole nother ball game now. 
I think the big fear for a lot of people is what happens when we find out for sure that there's something else out there. Yeah. If we really do find like some other Manhattan on some Goldilocks planet yeah. that's hovering some similarly sized star a billion light years away or whatever the hell it is, that's that's going to be very, very, very strange. It will be. It'll be a game changer, right? Because for religions, for, you know, I mean, wow, you know, what do you do if you find other intelligent creatures who are building civilizations? You start for me, making it's... them pay taxes. That's what you do. <laughs> so you right. fucks. You go, you go get pissed <laughs> off that they're not doing what you want them to do. You, know, you should be believing this one, you know. So, uh, but I think, you know, for me, the thing is like, it's about climate change. Because what it means is like, there's no way, well, from my perspective, you know, that, that if you have a civilization, you push your planet. You, mm-hmm. you know, you can't stop it in some sense. If you build a civilization, it's going to Well, happen. the only way around it is if you have, like, a subsistence culture, indigenous Native yeah. American culture. Right. Which, it, it seems impossible, but it existed here 200 years ago, which yeah. is a blink of an eye. Right, right. I know. It's amazing. It's only 200 years yeah. since, like, this, the, the ramp up. You know that the world population only crossed the billion mark in, like, 1850. Well, you know, I mean, it's not, there were so few of us on the planet for most of the time that even we've been around. Forget the planet's yeah. history. Uh, so, you know, I think like there, there is, you know, the discovery, if we were to get any evidence, you know, and I think the way it's going to happen is going to be more by accident than by like signaling, you know, like the, so, so, but if we had any evidence of another technological, if we had any evidence of just life, right? If we just find a biosphere, mm. evidence that, you know, and we can do that from a distance, right? Even if the star is, you know, 30 light years away, if we get, if we see, as the light passes through the star's atmosphere for those few moments, if we see oxygen in the atmosphere, you know, we'll be able to detect that. That's what we can do with telescopes. We can tell like what, you can see the fingerprints of the different kinds of elements. If we see oxygen in that atmosphere, you know, and methane, that pretty much says that there's a biosphere there, that there's life. Because you wouldn't get oxygen would just like react away really fast if it wasn't for life. Like in our, on, uh, on Earth, if it wasn't for life, there'd be no oxygen in the atmosphere. What are the possibilities of life that exists in a completely different environment than we expect? Like, I know that they found life at the bottom of the ocean in yeah. these volcanic vents, yeah. at extreme heats, boiling water. They didn't expect to see this. Yeah. And this is fairly recent as well. That is. That, yeah. The idea that the... Um, because, right, this whole definition of the habitable zone was yeah. based on the idea like, oh, you got to have a surface and it's got to right. be, you know. But now with the, every, you know, not every, but like a bunch of the moons orbiting Jupiter and Saturn and the gas giants, they have oceans under them. Like well, there's thoughts that oceans. Europa might have something below the surface, right? Yeah, yeah, because the um, Europa is, uh, you know, it's, it's this pretty big moon and we know it's covered in ice, right? You can see it's covered in a, you know, and we think that layer of ice is maybe like, I don't know, 10 kilometers thick. And then below that, there may be 100 kilometers of ocean. And because as it moves around Jupiter, it's con- the gravity of Jupiter is always squishing the insides that there's probably volcanic activity happening at the surface. So you have hydrothermal vents, you know, heat escaping out of, the, and chemicals escaping out of the, at the surface under the ocean. And that's how we think life formed on, uh, on Earth. That's one of the arguments for how life formed. It form, formed first in the hydrothermal vents. So yeah, you know, we, it, it's a new, that's another game changer, right? So that we should also be thinking not just about the, the classic uh, the habitable zone, but now we got to think about like life and can you get civilizations in an underwater civilization, you know, in an underwater, maybe you have a right. really rich ecosystem, but you know, with the problem with a, uh, you know, an underwater uh, uh, life or forming civilization is that you can't really do fire. Right. Fire was pretty important for us for metallurgy, you know, to build advanced technology, you kind of need combustion. So, you know, that's kind of the open question with that. Yeah. We are not really concerned with animals. 
We're concerned with things that think and change their yeah. environment. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like we are concerned with life, but we're only concerned with life that's at least similar or comparable to us. Yeah, microbes don't like. Yeah. You know, we don't, don't. We don't. Yeah, we, they don't. They don't we're get not too excited. Yeah. Go to Jupiter for some microbes. <laughs> yeah, right. But we, we we are excited about the things that they've recently found on Mars. Right. I mean, yeah, there was a very recent week. discovery. Right. Yeah. Right. So you know, the thing is actually from the you know. So I'm an I, I I work in a lot of fields, but I would also consider myself an astrobiologist. Right. Which is a pretty kind of wild idea that you can do astrobiology, even though you only have one example, which is the Earth. But we've learned so much that now we can start asking ourselves about the possibility of life elsewhere. So finding even a microbe, like even a freaking, you know, amoeba on Mars would be, or even evidence that there used to be amoebas on Mars. What is the evidence that they've discovered on Mars? What they found was um, organic chemistry, right? And so, but organic chemistry, man, I hated chemistry when I was growing up, uh, and I hated organic chem, was that's just basically chemistry involving carbon. You know, so you can have non or, you know, it does organic chemistry doesn't mean organisms, but it's the mm-hmm. kind of chemistry that organisms love. Right. So finding evidence that there was like they drilled. Amazing. Like we sent a freaking robot to yeah. Mars that could drill through a rock, you know, and then ingest <laughs> the rock. And, you know, it's like, and then send the data back across data space. Back, man. We're, you know, pretty good for a bunch of hairless apes. You know? Yeah. Um, so what they found was evidence for you know, fairly complex, um, uh, you know, uh, organic chemistry, which meant that way back when Mars and this we know for sure, right? Mars had water on it. We know that for sure now. Mars was a blue planet for. Did they think that Mars was hit by uh, an asteroid or a comet or something along those lines? Well, everything got hit by comets. That's how we have you know we have chunks of Mars here, right? right. That you know the thing in '96 or whatever when they were like, oh, we found life on Mars. You know, they thought that what they found was uh, fossil bacteria mm-hmm. in a chunk of. Mars that they found in Antarctica. So the planets have been swapping spit for like the entire history of the solar system. That's fossilized bacteria that they found. Has that been confirmed? No, no. Most people now think that the uh, Allen Hills uh, meteorite, that probably, you know, it's inconclusive and it's not conclusive enough to be like, yeah, we found life. It's like a tiny little squiggly worm looking thing. That's what it was, yeah. Yeah. But it was so small that it was like way smaller than any of the microscopic fossilized bacteria we've ever seen before. So people in general are like, nah. Um, But but that's what started, right? That's when um, Clinton was like, okay, we're going to send a lot of shit to Mars. Because after, you know, back in 90, you know, early 90s, people were kind of done with Mars. And so that's what triggered the whole, you know, one space probe after another, the rovers. And like, so, you know, the thing we found was a direct result of that effort, which was this organic chemistry, which says that back in the day, Mars had had a lot of this stuff lying around, had a lot of these, you know, these, these organic chemicals lying around, which if your life that's what you're going to be using. So that's like one more step. Like we've been putting the, the, the Lego blocks uh, for the argument for life on Mars one piece at a time since the, you know, since the first rovers went there. Yeah. Um, if we did discover just even plants on some other planet, even just oh. a, a planet with some sort of plant-like life. Yeah. That would be that'd be a game changer. That'd be a game changer because you know so, right now we don't know if there's we you know are we the only time in the entire history of the universe that like this crazy thing where you got we went from non-life to life like is that common or is that never ever ever happen? So that's the question we want to you know we want to answer. And I, you know I mean like you know that argument I was given before is I think from the probable arguments I'm saying it's like you know it's it's almost overwhelming that yeah it probably happened somewhere again doesn't mean anything is here but we need evidence right science so we got to build that evidence. Yeah, and if we do find something, the, the the one of the weirder things would be if we found something and there was a way to get there. Yeah, you know, yeah. If we we find something and we're like, yeah, we find something, but it's we're pretty sure there's some kind of life and it's three billion light years away. You're like, well, that's cool. Yeah, what do we do? Yeah, yeah. it's nice yeah. to know that we're not the only ones. Yeah. yeah. 
And well, you know, it's interesting. Like, how much would that that change? You know, even if we found like evidence for this, because this is a debate. Like, if we found evidence of a technological civilization, we saw like alien megastructures, like that star they thought. Yeah, about. what was that nonsense? Uh, it wasn't really nonsense. It was, I, you it know, was something it was, floating around. Right. Well, so here's what they saw. So that you know, the way we discover planets is we look for when the the planet passes in front of the star, you get a little dip in the light, right? It blocks out a little bit of light, right. it's like a little eclipse. Um, and so you know, we've now that's how we know that every star in the sky has planets. But there's like they found one that just made no sense. Like the light would dip, then it would stop dipping, then it would dip again three times, and it would stop dipping. Sometimes it was lower, sometimes it was higher. Um, and you know, for a year or so, people were like. Fuck is this, you know? And so, you know, um, uh, Jason Wright and others, uh, Jason's a friend of mine, you know, they wrote a paper where they were like, hey, you know, at least, because this is what the future is going to look like. We can't say, we can't, we have to at least consider the possibility that these are artificial structures that are like orbiting the star or, you know. It would have to be ungodly huge ungodly huge alien mega structures like yeah. that's the best word like, ever like the size know? of a country right yeah yeah these things would be huge right but that's what people think like you know when people think about advanced alien civilizations the idea of building large scale structures is you think that maybe the next thing you do once you reach a certain point like um you know the dyson sphere the idea that you could collect all of the sun's energy and use it for yourself by building a giant sphere around the sun with solar panels on the inside people think like that goes back to kardashev's the idea of this kardashev scale back in the 60s where he's like look there's going to be a natural progression of civilizations that goes first you collect all the energy you can from your planet and then you use that to do amazing things and then you collect all the energy from your star and then you do that you may you know you do amazing shit with that and then you know the whole galaxy. So, he, you know, Kardashev thought there was a scale that that civilizations naturally progress through. And so, you hopefully don't blow yourself up along the way. Well, I think that's the question. <clears throat> I mean, you know, I've criticized the, the Kardashev scale in one of the papers I recently did because what it fails to take into account is the fact that, like, you know, on your way up to the type one. Type one is when you harvest all the energy from your planet, which basically means somehow covering your planet in, in uh, you know, solar panels or something. That neglects what we've learned since Kardashev wrote his paper in 64 is that, you know, planets don't like that shit. Like, planets, the planet's going to feedback. You try and build, mm. you know, massive shit on your planet. The planet has its own, you know, biosphere is pretty powerful and you got to take the biosphere into account or you get climate change. You get, you know, the, the planet being pushed off in another direction. So, but whatever. So for the, um, for the alien megastructures, people thought like, oh, maybe this is like a piece of a, uh, of a Dyson sphere, right? This is like, mm. you know, now, so, you know, when he proposed this, people went bonkers over this, right? He was yeah. just saying, he's like, look, here's the 15 different things could be, and I'm going to have to at least consider the possibility that it's artificial. Um, but for me, and some people got really angry and everything, but I thought like this is- Why did they get angry? Because there's been a thing in the community over the years, you know, SETI got a bad name, right? SETI mm-hmm. for a bunch of, you know, SETI was sort of thought as being like, oh, only wackadoodles do that. And, but why, you know, why is that? Just because there was no results? Uh, I just think, you know, there was, you know what it is? It's because of shitty TV. You know, I mean, I really, in some ways, right? It's all, you know, it's prosthetic foreheads, right? It's the whole, we've had so much kind of crappy, you know, speculation about aliens that trying to do anything scientific always had this whiff of sort of being a little, you know, and then there's the UFO stuff, you know, which is completely separate, has nothing to do with it. But SETI never really achieved any results, right? There was that one big blip that was highly popularized. The wow signal. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing about SETI, we never really did SETI that much. You know what I mean? Like people have this idea like, wow, we've got telescopes all over the world and they're looking, you know, so the government never funded a SETI study. Anything major, right? So people, you know, all that SETI has done is like basically, you know, some dudes on a telescope get a little extra time. Like, hey, man, quick, let's go look at a star, you know? So um, Jill Tarter, who's one of the, you know, the founders, one of the greats of SETI, she compares it. It's like, you know, we got an ocean that we need to look at. And so far we've looked at a thimble. 
right? Was she the Jodie Foster character? She's the Jodie Foster character, yeah. We're in the in contact. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's, you know, and it's a good point. Like, we haven't really looked yet. So the idea yeah. that, you know, the stars are silent or anything, it's like, man, come on, we haven't even begun to do that a comprehensive survey. SETI makes me sad. Why? Because I feel like they're wasting their time. And uh, there's a there was a documentary I saw once about some biologist who was convinced that the giant sloth was still alive and that there was examples of them in South America. And this poor bastard had spent <laughs> a, a, more than yeah. a decade looking for this giant sloth in South America. And um, there, was, there was this moment where he was chasing down this supposed dung pile and they were looking for it and they were you know found yeah, it. Someone was, they were, he, and he had this look in his eyes where like he was like holy shit what if i waste my fucking life yeah and my academic career yeah yeah chasing down something that's not even real yeah that's kind of how i've always felt about seti yeah but that's not the way the people i mean everybody who's involved in it um you know i don't do seti you know i mean you know i respect the people who are doing it it's not you know but you know most of them are like look this is just a multi-generational thing mm -hmm. you know and if even if i don't find it i'm laying the foundation it's like you right. know cathedrals right it took right. like how many generations did it take to build a cathedral in medieval europe right, right? sure so the first guy who laid the stone was like i'm not going to see this you know maybe right. my great grandkid so most of them are like you know, they're, you know, they know that this is going to, you know, this is a, this is a huge, it's like the most important question in humanity, right? Mm -hmm. Are we alone? And they're willing to accept that. Like, you know, if you're going to do it scientifically, you're going to have to do it brick by fricking brick, you know? And so you just have to accept that and, you know, go on. Mm. So, uh, but like I said, I think we've, we're, you know, this is a new era now. So the idea of like looking for signals, which assumes that somebody's putting out signals, right? That's, that's a huge assumption right there. But with, now that we know that there's all these planets and we're staring at all these planets, it's kind of, we need to be thinking differently about, you know, we need to be prepared for like what happens when we see something we don't understand. Well, it's know? also, we don't even use radio anymore. Right, right. I Cable. Mean, radio is dying right. slowly but surely. Yeah. Local yeah. radio is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a thing of the past. Yeah, right. The only thing that's really, we're beaming out a large scale is uh, military radars. Mm. You know, that's the main thing. So there would be some kind of signal. It wouldn't necessarily have to be radar or or radio. It would just have to be something that we could detect, right. some form of anomaly that seemed to be artificial. Right. right. So here's like here's some of the suggestions that people are talking about. So Avi Loeb at Harvard talks about the idea, you know, maybe what you need, and you're going to need the sensitivity for this, you're going to see like rocket engines going back and forth between, you know, uh, you have a planet. You have a, a multi-planet civilization on in some, mm. and you're going to see little flares as rockets decelerate and accelerate back and forth. People have talked about seeing city lights. You know, the telescopes are getting. You know, we're we're, we're building these giant telescopes. They're like thirty meters well, there across. May be potential one day to see a city light you could see city lights when the, you know the, you're going to see the planet come around like this is all like you know we're, we're not mm -hmm. we're not there yet but right. um people 20 talk, years 30 years 30 years 40 years you know this is a long game and you mm -hmm. got to be playing the long game at some point we're going to need to build stuff in space that's even larger so we can collect more light and won't the um, issue also be that if we do see these city lights we're seeing city lights from millions of years ago well it depends like you tend you know a planet that that's uh in a star 10 light years ago that's 10 years ago so it's not like you know these things could still mm, be around okay. here's a really interesting idea like um because you know one of the things that i'm talking about in my book is like how long does any civilization last right that's the real question all of this stuff is super Super relevant for us now because the question is what is the average lifetime of a civilization so you might be able to see artifacts from civilizations that are gone like imagine a civilization covered one of its moons in, in um, uh, 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 solar panels right the reflected light is going to show a spectral signature of the uh, the panels mm -hmm. you know so it's like they don't even have to necessarily be alive now 
that we still might be able to see stuff from there, you know, or, uh, evidence of like artificial structures or something that's not natural around them. So, you know, that's the thing, man. It's like we're really we're just we're about to take this step. In, st- in astrobiology, where we're, you know, we're already running models of uh, uh, exobiospheres, right? We're, we're asking, like, oh, what kind of chemistry can you have if you don't, like, if you have uh, photosynthesis in a, uh, on a planet around a, a star that's smaller than ours, that star is going to be mostly red as opposed to yellow like ours. So the light that's coming off it is going to be different. Can you have photosynthesis in that case? And people are like, yeah, you probably could. And what would it look like? So we're already doing the work to be ready for exo biospheres. So exo-civilizations, we kind of need to be prepared for that too, looking for, you know, what, what could be the traces, what might we see from a distance from an exo-civilization. They don't have to be signaling us, you know, they're just there and we're going to catch some aspect of their being around. And if we did see rocket, if we did see some sort of a signature from rockets going back and forth, or the, we would have to assume that this is a similarly aged civilization to ours. Whereas if we saw something that was a thousand, a hundred thousand yeah. years advanced, we probably wouldn't see that anymore. We'd right, probably right. see some sort of a manipulation of time and space. Right. If that's possible. If right? it's possible. If it's possible. Yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, of course, that is one of the problems is that um, when you start, you know, when you start pushing, it's just like saying like, you know, what is the, what is the, what are we going to be like in a million years? Mm-hmm. Well, right. knows, you know, I mean, it's so long. So I think you start with what you know. And the, the cool thing about the planet part, though, is that, you know, unless they become like energy beings, you know, they're going to have an effect on their planet. So looking at their planets to look for, you know, for spectral indications, that's probably, even after they die, there might even be things. So that's, I think, a, you know, a good way to go. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm so curious as to what we're going to be able to do in a thousand years and ten thousand oh. years and a hundred thousand years yeah. if, if civilization does stay al- around and we figure out how to not melt the earth or right. boil the oceans or whatever, whatever the fuck All we're the doing crap wrong. We're doing, yeah, right. But there's, you know, a bunch of science fiction films that do speculate of what what's going to be possible in the future, and one of them was uh, what was that recent one with. Uh, What's his name? All right, all right. What's his name? What the fuck's his name? Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Um, the one where they go through the wormholes. You right, know? right. How much do those movies piss you off? They don't. They I don't, don't know. I, I do not. I mean, but they get so love science fiction. So you know, I mean, I do not need my science fiction to be correct. To be correct. I mean, mm. it's, you know, if they want to make, it, you know, so I love the Expanse. The Expanse is my favorite show ever. I will talk about it. What is the now. Expanse? The Expanse. You I don't even know. Thank you. Help me. Um, so The Expanse, it's a series of books, first of all, that I think are the best science fiction books in the last 15 years. Really? Um, and then they made, them into, made it into a show uh, on sci-fi. And then they had three years of it. And, you know, at first people were like, oh, this is kind of hard to follow because, you know, it's a lot of stories coming together. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, it, this year it got 100% uh, 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 ratings. Or uh, it's, um, um, what is it? Rotten Tomatoes? Rotten Tomatoes. 100% or 95%. Like, if people love a show. And then really? freaking sci-fi canceled it. You know, and so then Jeff Bezos just yeah, Jeff Bezos just picked it up. Oh, because good people for you, love Jeff. this show, man. Fuck yeah, rich All right, so man. So let me tell you why this show <laughs> is amazing, right? So um, it takes place about two hundred years from now, and we are truly a multi-planet species. Like Mars now has you know you know billion people on it. Uh, and it's become its own political power, right? It, it's separated from the Earth. And then the asteroid belt has also – people are colonizing and, you know, uh, living on the asteroid belt to, you know, mine resources. But the belters, as they call them, are like – they're like second-class citizens. They're basically like super poor and they're – you know, they got the, the boot on their necks by either Earth or Mars. And so there's this whole interplanetary kind of political shit going on, which is just great, you know? Um 
And then there's you, you enter into this. They discover like the, what they call the proto molecule. Like you know, it was this is basically this alien molecule that was really a device that some aliens threw our way billions of years ago. That was you know, I don't how much am I supposed to give away? You know, I don't want so no, not too much. It's okay, no away. one's gonna remember. All right, good, good. Uh, so so that, complicated. So that you know that becomes kind of a weapon in this this, this political intrigue. So it's just a great story. It's kind of like people call it like the Game of Thrones in space. Mm. But I'll tell you what I love about it is that this is what it's going to look like. Like they get the science on this show so right as much as you can, right? Mm. So you know, in space, if your rocket motors are on, there's gravity because you know the rocket motors push up towards you, and so yeah, oh, you got gravity. You can walk around. When you turn the rocket motors off, you float around, right? On spinning things, you know, anything. So, you know, in the in, in this universe, you know, in this the, the fictional universe, they've taken the big asteroids and they've hollowed them out and spun them up. So people live on the inside, you know. Mm. And um, so at one point, like the, the one of the characters, the, the private eye, they got this great sort of film noir thing going on. And he pours a drink, you know, some whiskey. And the whiskey does this. It spirals into this. So they got the, like the Coriolis effect. Ah. It's like I peed in my pants. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> they got the Coriolis effect right. So it's like this is really what it's going to look like. You know what I mean? This is if you want to imagine 200 years from now, which I think is completely feasible that we have millions of people living in space. Do um, they make any advances socially? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> so no? People are assholes to each other, Aww, and that's what makes on. it. Yeah, but it's only two hundred years. That's a lot to ask for. Uh, well, think about how different we are from people that lived fifty years ago. I mean, are we that different? I think I we're think... quite a bit different. In what way? What do you think? Like, I think the... we're well. We have this ability to communicate now that we never yeah. did before. Yeah, where everybody has an ability to say their piece about how yeah. they feel about how things are going. Yeah, no, that's interesting, right? And that has changed a lot of things yeah. in a lot of ways. But I mean, has it changed? Who we are. I mean, I think I evolution. Think I think it's chipping away. Yeah. Who we are. Well, that would be good if it could. I'm, yeah. you know, because one of the things, my thing, so it, what's interesting about this fictional world too is that like climate, you know, the earth is dealing with climate. The earth has like 30 billion people on it, and, you know, New York is halfway underwater. And so that's part of the story too is that, you mm. know, so we're trying to navigate our way through now becoming a multi planet species. Um, so, you know, that is a version of at least 200 years where you can really extrapolate the technologies and ask yourself, because that's real. I mean, I think that's really going to happen. If we make it through climate change, that's the, that's the prize at the end of the, you know, uh, of, the, of the story. If we make it through climate change, you know, with the stuff that Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are doing, man, that's real. Like, that's, is this what your number one concern is, climate change? Michael, I'm a single voter, yeah, climate change. Because it's like it is an existential dilemma. You know, mm -hmm. and I, because of all the writing I did for NPR and The New York Times, I have dealt with a lot of climate change denialists, man, and it drives me what is their big, what's the big, because I, I recently had a discussion with someone on the podcast that didn't believe in climate change. Ugh. And it was, it was a weird thing because I kept pulling up all the different scientific consensus studies, all the different studies that show that we were having an impact. It's an undeniable impact. Undeniable. Under yeah. 30 years of science. I, yeah, no, I saw that and she was like, you know, well, that's what well, you say. I don't think that she's really thinking about that. In her case, it was... I don't think she really thinks about it. I think she no. just has this stance that she believes that that group that she's a part of That's what it subscribes is. to. So there's an ideological yeah. aspect of it where yeah. you you kind of you have a predetermined pattern that you're supposed to follow when right. you're on one side. Right. You have to be pro-life. You have to be pro-Second Amendment. All this bucket of stuff. There's a bucket that you of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's I think it's a giant problem with our culture oh, that huge. there are two groups of people right. that you can't like to truly be an independent thinker. You're like one of these weird 
weirdos. It's off in the fringe. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to be independent of either party. Right, right. And the thing about science is the whole point of science is to right? be independent. Is to be, and to have, you know, the, the, what science is, Facts. science is a way of having public knowledge. Yes. You know what I mean? Like everybody has their opinions, whatever. But science is about the, the stuff we can all be like, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's this whole process that we've evolved over 400 years. And with climate denial, man, sometimes. You know, it's just, yeah, you want to be like, what What are you saying, man? Like, what? You know, read a book because they'll say stuff. Like, here's my favorite one. Uh, climate's always changing. Hey, man, climate's always changing, man. Which is true. Right? Yeah, but if so, so if somebody comes to me, because, you know, what I want most for people, like, I consider myself an evangelist of science. I mm. love science. And so if people come to me and they say, hey, man, isn't the climate always changing? I'm like, oh, man, great question. You know, and we actually know the answer to that. Yeah, it's changing, but it's changing. Like, what's the time scale? You mm. know? So it changes often on million-year time scales. But, like, from... The, the last 10,000 years, since the last ice age, which was 10,000 years ago, which is amazing. Like, there used to be a mile of ice above our heads, you know, t- right 10,000 years ago. Climate has been remarkably stable. Yeah, there's been little blips in it, but no major changes, right? So, like, and I can show them the graph of this and everything. So, if, you're, if, you know, if they're interested, you know, I mean, if they're, so if they're asking the question because they want to know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm down to talk until, you know, the cows come home. But that's not what, a, what typical deniers are. Deniers are like, get climate changing all the time. But and they're not interested it, in the answer. But isn't know? it, it's not only they're not interested in the answer, they're just trying to win. Right. It's, it's not a real conversation because it's a really complex thing. If you dig an ice core and you, you tap down to 50,000, 80,000, yeah. 100,000 years, you see all these bizarre shifts of the climate right. that could be indicative of super volcanoes and asteroidal impacts and solar flares. A lot of shit happens yeah. Yeah. over the course of a million years. Right. But to, to hang all your ideas on the party's ideology and to deny all this really interesting stuff and 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 all these variables that's what that's what pisses me off it's like you know what i try and tell people is like look climate science is like awesome like it's science it's got these amazing stories to tell about you know yeah the earth i mean earth over the past 4.5 billion years the earth has gone through the most profound changes and we've learned about Aren't you interested in that? But no, right. They're, they, they basically have this thing where, like, you know, I'm, I'm part of this group and therefore I have to have this opinion. And I'm like, dude, it's science. Science doesn't care who you voted for. You know what I mean? Like the, the uh, radiative properties of a CO2 molecule doesn't care whether you're wearing a blue tie or a red tie. And the fact that people can't make that distinction. And here's the real problem. Once you go down this slippery road of denying, of saying, like, okay, that kind of science, I hate, man. They're all a hoax. Well, you know, America's prosperity and our safety has been built on science over the last 200 years, you know, you start to erode the whole thing. You can't just like call one group of, you know, scientists hoaxers, you know, and it's all they're only doing for them and not have it slowly infect everything else to the point where like, you know, China will be happy to eat our lunch. You know, when it comes scientifically, China's pumping huge amounts of money into science. They're not doing this. So like, you know, we're, we're limiting. And here's the other thing that really bums me out. Science is not a, uh, uh, it's not a lunch buffet. You know what I mean? You can't be like, oh, man, can I have some of those antibiotics? I love antibiotics. And, oh, yeah, the cell phone's great. I'll use that. I really want to fly in a plane. But climate change is bullshit. You know? I mean, like, you know, either you accept that you live in a scientific society. It doesn't mean, like, you're slavishly adhered to anything, you know, comes out in a journal late yesterday. But, you know, either you adhere to the idea that this method has produced miracles for us. Or, you know, give me the cell phone back. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, the scientific method is what has established the actual real 
facts of how things interact with each other that's allowed us to create technology. Right. And I think they, they, they split that distinction. Right. They right. focus on the technology and commerce, right. which is more important right. in their eyes than the, 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 the consequences of the environment or right. what's going to happen to the environment. Yeah. There, this is the big hope is that we're going to figure it out, and I'm hopeful of that too, is that we're going to figure out some way to extract carbon from the atmosphere with devices or some enormous – like uh, there was some – I don't know if it was a working prototype or it's just a concept, but there was an enormous building that was really an air filter. Yeah, yeah they're starting to look at carbon yeah. capture again. With yeah. places like Hong Kong and right. places where they have terrible – Beijing, where they have terrible, terrible pollution and more importantly, particulates in the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just a, 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 like a carbon thing. It's like they have shit in their air. Right, right, that they're breathing yeah, in their lungs. it's awful, yeah. man. Yeah. It's yeah. – you know, I went to Mexico City – a couple years back, uh, I've been there twice, but I went there for a UFC, and when we were flying in, I took photos, and I put them on my Instagram, see if you can find those. They're fucking shocking. It's man. unbelievable, it's like, right? What kind of a creepy animal is the human, <laughs> where the, the human is capable of burning smoke yeah. into the very air that yeah. we need to take into our lungs to it's keep like our body cloud. alive? Right. Oh, you see it so bad. Yeah. People have never been to Mexico City. Yeah. Like, it's a stunner. Dude, my fucking head was killing me yeah. after two days there. Yeah, well, that's what like happened with uh, Beijing when they had the Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. They had to, like, you know, they had to stop all industrial activity for, Look like, two months. Right. This well, is, you know, L.A. used to look like this, right? Yeah. Before the Clean Air Act, L.A. would have... Well, that's what I wrote. Smuggler. I wrote Mexico's L.A. on steroids. Right. Mexico City's L.A. Right. on steroids. I mean, so, it's so dark. You know, the uh, this whole question of what we'll do, like, this brings us back to the aliens, right? So my, my, my point is, is that, you know, we're not the first time this has happened. And pretty much if you build a civilization, anybody who builds a civilization like we've done is going to trigger climate change, right? It's like it's kind of unavoidable, right? So that goes back to the denier thing. You know, one of the things I'm trying to do with the book is flip the script, right? Because you talk to climate denialists and it's the same freaking set of things that like, you know, man, dude, we've been here before. We've, the question's been answered. But I'm trying to like flip it to show that like the whole question of, uh, you know, did we change the climate? That's what everybody focuses on. Did we? Did we not? You know? Right. And, uh, you know, from when you take the 10,000 light year view, then what you realize is like, what did you expect? Like, we built a world-girdling civilization that uses a quarter almost of all the energy the biosphere uses, right? So, you know, every, you know, every day the biosphere has like, you know, 200 terawatts of energy that it's producing in sugars. We use about a quarter of that. Like, how did you expect there wasn't going to be an impact, right? Mm. So this changes the whole way we're looking. We don't need to argue about like, did we or didn't we? Of course we did. This is what happens when you reach this level. And the other thing that, you know, in the book that I'm trying to argue to also – and it pushes back against the deniers, is like, what well, climate deniers are human haters. You know, they're all like, you know, like, the, you know, we did this amazing thing. We changed the atmosphere of an entire planet, right? Climate change shows on one level how freaking awesome we are, you know, how far we've gotten. And if you look at the, you know, from the perspective of, you know, species doing this again and again across the universe, this shows that we've reached a level, right? We have, we've leveled up, right? You know, mm -hmm. I play a lot of video games, right? And so that whole thing when you level up and, you know, you get the, the sniper rifle, we've leveled up. And so now the question is, are we smart enough you know, to see what we've done and make the right choices. Because that's what the universe is going to be. There's going to be species that trigger climate change. It's going to happen all the time. And some are going to be like, oh, man, we need to do something, right? And they'll make the actions. They'll be able to work it out, get it together. And other ones, you know, who are just going to end up in the cosmic waste pile. So we're like cosmic teenagers. And just like when you're a teenager and you're, you know, uh, you, get, you start to drive, right? Either you figure it out, you know, either you're drinking and you're partying and you drive the car off a cliff or you figure out how to handle your responsibility. And that's us now, you know. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. And uh, I, I feel like there's a fundament, fundamental problem with the way people approach ideas. And uh, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about right versus left or, yeah. you know, Republican versus Democrat. They're not thinking of the consequences of arguing for uh, against the possibility that climate change is a human caused thing. They're not thinking of the consequences. They just want to win. Right, right. They and want the thing, their side to be right. They want their side to be right. And, the, you know, what, what bums me out is they don't understand the, the consequences of that for the both the American enterprise and the human enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, because, you know, uh, if you if you keep calling one branch of science a hoax, then what's to say the other branches? Like, well, you know, then you just, you're, down, you're rolling down this, you know, slippery slope where like the other countries, you know, like, so most of the, of the um, Nobel Prizes Americans have won were people from other countries. They came here to do their science because we had the best scientific enterprise. Right. You know, uh, the next generation will just go somewhere else. They'll go to China, you know? So um, there's that part of it. And the other part is like, dude, it's just science. It doesn't care about your political views and you know it's not fair to use the cell phone and take the antibiotics and then turn around and like and then suddenly treat this thing as if it was another thing in your bucket of you know ideologies i think also people think if you somehow or another compromise industry's ability to to work that you're going to kill jobs and you're going to damage the economy and that's more important yeah but i think it's the exact opposite right and if people really saw right i mean um you know, again, just like I'm saying, climate change shows how powerful people have become. It also shows how powerful our, our enterprise, right? We did this by, you know, building businesses, by building enterprise, by and, – and we built this world-girdling machine of civilization and it – you know, it, the planet actually noticed. Why do you like that term, world girdling? Because that's, it gives me the... Like it's a girdle? Wrapping around actually, the I think it's because it's from like uh, Shakespeare, like from uh, uh, Caesar or something. I always thought it was mm. a good... But it's the idea that like, you know, in um, the Foundation Trilogy, the Isaac Asimov, you know, classic science fiction thing, the, there's the city of, uh, the planet of Trantor, which is the center of the uh, the empire, the galactic empire. Mm. And it's, a, you know, it's basically the whole planet's been covered in city. You know, like, you know, the planet, you got to go down like 500 levels before you get to the, the surface. So that idea, you know, I mean, what I like about it is the idea that, like, you know, we've done something. We're kind of covered the planet in our our effect, you know, mm. Co- covered the planet in our enterprise. So this issue of business is that, like, um, there's a place I can stand in Rochester. I did this for NPR. And there's the Erie Canal. I can stand right on the edge of the Erie Canal. Then there's a train tracks, you know. The tracks was laid, those tracks were laid back in, you know, the original line back in the 18, you know, whatever, 70s. Then there's a highway. And then there's the airport right over there. Four different infrastructures, you know, which everyone took huge amounts of money to build. One of which we don't even use anymore, right? So the idea of building an, uh, an, uh, the, an infrastructure that will that will not be carbon polluting, will not trigger climate change, like, dude, this is what we do, you know? Right. So the idea that there's going to be more jobs that come out of this than it could ever come out of fossil fuels, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal for human beings because that's what we do to switch infrastructures. And there will be a lot of wealth generated up by, you know, uh, just like there was, you know, when we switched to the trains. You know? well, where's the argument coming that we, because there are people that just adopt the, the party line, the party line that, you know, hum, climate's always changed and human beings barely affect it. And it's not something to concentrate on. Where's that coming from? Again, I think it's the, you know, the gradual political polo- polarization of everything, you know, because if you look at in the, um, we're now at the, uh, what is it, 30-year anniversary of um, Jim Hansen, who was you know, the famous climate scientist, giving his testimony in front of Congress in 1988 on a hot, sweltering summer day. We said climate change is already happening, you know, and that made news everywhere. And that was the first, like, public 
awakening that this was happening. And if you look at the first Bush administration, they were like, oh, yeah, we're ready to do something about this. Sure, we can do it, you know. Um, and then it just gradually over time as the whole political polarization thing happened, you can actually see the, uh, the, the very purposeful denial, right? They took a page out of the cigarette companies. You know, for years, right, cigarettes were like, oh, the cigarette companies were like, no, it's not a problem. So they were purposefully, you know, there were people who had money invested, right? You know, who, like didn't well, want a, this there's change. There's a documentary that, that goes into that. Um, what is the name of that? Merchants of Doubt. Merchants of Doubt. Yeah. That's a great that's book, man. That's a really good book. Yeah, um, and, the, and the documentary is really good too. Yeah, so it was but, purposeful. You know, but it's that's it's also confusing. It's like, why are they doing that? Like, who's paying them to do that? Obviously, the cigarette companies would be paying the same people right. to um, put doubt into the idea that cigarettes are addictive or cigarettes cause cancer. And this right. is what had been done in the past. Now, right. the same people are involved in doing it with climate change. Right. But why? Uh, well, you know, at one time I wrote a piece for the NPR that was kind of positive about like, yeah, we can switch infrastructures, like I'm saying. And some guy wrote me back very angry. And he said, you know, the proven reserves, you know, the stuff, the oil that's in the ground has a wealth, you know, has a val monetary value. Like, you know, that's in there in the, the oil companies' banks, you know, in their bank accounts of like $1.5 trillion. And the guy said, dude, you know, people have gone to war for a lot less than $1.5 trillion. Right. So, you know, if, if we were to really be like, hey, man, we can't burn that, you know, you're going to have to leave that in the ground. That's like their bank accounts going like, you know, right. down to zero pretty fast. So... What I don't so get, it's those industries. I think that's part of it, and then it gets you get linked to other things, and then it becomes this sort of like mass, uh, you know, becomes the political pol. They use the political polarization to sort of, you know, sort of make this happen. It doesn't, and you know, look, other countries aren't doing this, right? That's the important right. thing, you know. Other countries, there's always a little bit of climate denial going on, but we're like the only country that's got, as you can see, because we're the only ones who are not part of the, the Paris Accord. Well, it's one of the weirder things about this right-left thing is the left is always supporting the environment. The, the left is all about the environment. The left is about clean air and clean yeah, water. And yeah, how did that happen? I don't yeah. understand Yeah, it. I don't it's, understand that either. The well, whole thing is very strange. Well, I got, you know, I mean, I have issues with, you know, environmentalists too, yeah. because um, I think after one of your shows I was watching, uh, you know, the whole idea of eco-bros, right? And you get eco-broed by people. And I've, you know, mm -hmm. so I have a piece in the New York Times today, an op-ed, where I'm basically saying like, look, man, the planet's going to be fine. Like, you know, long term, there's nothing we can throw at the biosphere that is going to kill it. We're, it's not about saving the planet. The earth is not a fuzzy little bunny you know the planet is powerful and it's really about saving us let's be honest about what's going on and there's going to be all kinds of ethical choices that go on that you know the polar bears may not be able to come along with us on the ride here you know we need a healthy biosphere with you know a lot of biodiversity but you know we're part of it and we're going to have an impact there's no such thing as no impact and you know already i'm getting eco bro people are like hey man you know you, you just you know you don't care about life yeah what about i just like oh come on man i just put it in the thing i said we need to be wise and compassionate you know but they're like man. well people have convenient opinions i mean this is this is one of the, the things you get involved with when you start talking with people about really important issues i mean it's like what we were talking about earlier they want to be right yeah. And they want to be on the side that's righteous and with virtue and ethics. And, right, right. And they find anything that, that you disagree yeah. or that they disagree with that you're saying, they don't ask you questions. They don't go, what do you think the implications right. are? Right. Like, how do, you, how do we minimize the effects and the negative consequences yeah. of our – they just immediately want to <laughs> say, you are yeah. insensitive, yeah. you are an asshole, yeah. you are the problem. Yeah. You know, you know my way around that, and that's what the whole book is about, is to like – when you've got a polarization, right, you know, where you know, you're – either this or you're that the thing that this is like a mathematical idea is to go orthogonal you know when you when you you know you go because you know it's a line basically right, right? you're either on this side or that side 
go 90 degrees to it. Now you're in a whole new space. Now you're right? up and down instead of left and right. Exactly. And now like the questions that, so you see this in like revolutions in science, right? So you know, look at Einstein and what happened when Einstein came up with uh, relativity. Everybody at the time was like, you know, um, they were all concerned with what they call the luminiferous ether that, you know, light needed, light's a wave and everybody thought it needed something to propagate through, right? Radio wave or um, water waves go through water, sound wave goes through air. So, you know, the whole thing was about this ether, the luminiferous ether. Is, does it exist? Does it not exist? Blah, blah, blah. Einstein was like, you know, I'm not really interested in that problem. I'm not even going to do it. He just like changed the whole thing and he just said, look, here's two new ideas. They have nothing to do with the luminiferous ether. And like all the old questions, all the old battles kind of just fell away. They didn't even make sense anymore. So that's what I'm trying to do in the book is say, look, when you look at climate change as a planetary transition, a predictable planetary transition, the whole idea of like environmentalism versus, you know, business interests and, uh, you know, right Republicans versus Democrats, it just doesn't, you know, it's not even relevant anymore. What matters is that this is going to happen. We should have expected it to happen. And now the question is, do we become a cosmic winner or a cosmic loser? And we have to think about the biosphere differently. We have to think about our place in the biosphere differently. And the old arguments, so that's what, you know, sometimes with climate change deniers, I'll throw this stuff at them. And it's really kind of fun to watch them be like, because they're expecting me to say like A, B, and C, and they've got D, E, and F in response. And I throw this stuff at them and they're just like, you know, and I'm not doing it just to fight with climate change, but I'm, you know, I think it's true. But well, who was it that was on the podcast that was talking about climate stabilization techniques and that this is probably the future? Was it Boyan? Um, anyway, what people are really worried about when, when you talk to people that understand the history of the human race and the history of the earth is climate cooling. They think that climate cooling is far more terrifying than climate warming. Because if we go into a giant ice age again, yeah. I mean, way more people are going to die, terrible loss of resources, and it could be devastating to the human race. But that is, is that is that something that you agree with? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's true. You know, and here's something interesting: we're kind of overdue for an ice age. Yeah. Right? Well, but, that was the thing in the '70s. They were saying that we were on the verge of an ice age. Yeah. I mean, that you know, that, there was just a couple of guys. I mean, that whole thing because you know, that that's often something that climate deniers will throw at you in the mm-hmm. '70s. Every, you know, it was like there right. was like one or two guys who said that, and then it got picked up on the news. But the climate community at that time was not like, oh my god, it's cooling. Right. But here's the interesting thing for me, and it fits into this whole idea: is that like we're holding off an ice age. Like there may never be, if human humanity is successful and we navigate the uh, Anthropocene, you know, that term, the Anthropocene, that we've now entered, we've now entered the human dominated era. We've been for the last 10,000 years, the geological epoch has been what they call the Holocene. That's all of human civilization happened in the Holocene. You know, it's pretty warm. It's pretty wet, moist. You know, everything's not locked up in ice. Um, and it's an interglacial period. And if we weren't around, yeah, in another 1,000, 3,000, 5,000 years, it'd be another uh, ice age. But the Anthropocene that we're triggering um, could hold off ice ages forever, right? As long as we're around, there won't be another ice age because we've already added enough warmth to the planet that it overcomes the effects that trigger an ice age. So, like, what are the ethical responsibilities of that? That's what I try and tell the, you know, the environmentalists. Like, you know, you got this image like, oh, we got to save the Earth. But they're thinking of, like, the Holocene. And it's like... Well, you know, the, the planet, even with us, even if we successfully keep biodiversity rich, and it's not going to be the Earth we started with, you know, because we're here. So, yeah, what about the species that never form because we held off the Ice Age, you know? I mean, forever. Like, what about the ethical responsibility of those? So, like, it opens... Boy, that is a long equation, though, isn't it? Uh, in what way? To, to try to contemplate what species would have existed if we allowed the Earth to cool, and our responsibility for allowing the Earth to cool, so that the potential for new species to advance. 
That's yeah. like fuck those species. Let's keep <laughs> let's keep this place warm so we can stay alive. Well, all I'm saying, the only reason I'm raising that, I'm not, you know, I'm raising that because right. we you know when we talk about climate change, what you get sometimes with the environmental movement is this sort of like the polar bear, the polar bear. And right. it's like what I'm trying to say is look, I love polar bears. Kind of funny that polar bears always think because polar bears will rip your head off and drink They're your blood in a ruthless. second. Yeah, right. The most Apex ruthless. predator, man. Not only but that, they're one of the rare bears that doesn't eat anything but meat. Yeah, right, right. And so it's so funny that we're like, oh, polar bears. Like, my no, friend polar Kevin bears. is a biologist, and he said like when you get polar bear babies like right out of the womb, he said they're like the like the alien from the chest you know, chest <laughs> burster scene. Yeah. He said they literally yeah. are like <laughs> like right out of the womb, yeah. they're looking to kill and eat. Yeah, you're like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, whoa, made a minute. Yeah, it's like yeah. that is. A fucking obviously, people have tamed them and right. fed them to right. the point where they don't never not worry looking, about chew your head off. Yeah, yeah but right. that's a fucking predatory, yeah. enormous yeah. animal. Yeah. So I'm I'm raising that point to say like, look, the thing we're going through now is a it's an epic making planetary transition. We and we're part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And whether or not we're still part, that's the question. Whether or not we're still part of it a thousand years from now. You know, is the big issue. So, you know, there are ethical issues about the polar bear, right? right. But there are also ethical issues. There, you know, there, we can't just return the Earth to some pristine state. We're here. There's seven billion of us. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, you have to. We're going to have to understand. Like, there's this deeper ethical question about what does an Earth look like that's been changed by us, that's healthy, but us still has us on it. It may not have polar bears. You know, it may have rich phytoplankton, you know, uh, and it may be you know, uh, very species diverse, but some of the species may not come with us. So, like, we can't this sort of like thing of like, oh, the pristine earth. There is no more pristine earth. We, you know, we've been changing the earth since we were here. So it's like, how do we have a healthy, a rich, healthy biosphere with us and our civilization still in it? And the thing about things that have gone extinct in the past and more than 90 percent of everything that's ever existed is extinct problem is we didn't know then. Right, right. We didn't have a, you know, a, a checklist. Right. Like, oh, spotted owl, check, got yeah, it. You yeah. know, tree frog, check, got yeah. it. Now we do, and when one goes away, we kind of freak out. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, you know, we have to have compassion for life because we're part of it. Like, without the compassion, you know, we end up with, uh, as uh, uh, Gavin Schmidt, a friend of mine, calls, econo- we have ecological hooliganism, right? We're mm-hmm. just too crazy. We're just dumping shit into rivers. Like, you know, you don't have to do that, man. Um, but, you know, when, in my talks on this, I'll show, like, the polar bear, the lonely polar bear on the yeah. island. And, you know, like, oh, everyone's really, you know, bummed out about this. And then I'll show, like, a velociraptor, right? You know, who's crying for the velociraptor, right? right? Species come and go. So we have to, you know, and the earth goes through these huge trans- Transitions. I'm not saying be like, don't care about those species, but you got to have the bigger picture with us. And here's the problem with the, with the, uh, uh, the environmental movements, you know, with the, sometimes the way it gets framed. It's not just the environmental movement. It's the way we talk about climate change. We think of ourselves as being a plague, right? Oh, human beings, we suck, right? That's the basic, that's the only story. We have two stories. It's not happening or we suck. And my whole thing is like, that is the wrong, not only is that story wrong, it's unhelpful, you know? We are what the biosphere is doing now. You know, millions of years ago, it was grasslands. You know, grasslands were a new innovation, and they changed the planet. You have a lot of grass. You know, the biosphere evolved grasslands. They swept across the planet. They changed how the planet worked. And then the Earth moved on with it, went on to the new experiment. We are what the – we're exactly that. We are like the dinosaurs or the grasslands or the blue-green algae that created uh, the oxygen atmosphere. And like – you know, we're not, we're, you know, there's no difference between a city and a forest on some bi- biospheric level. We don't suck. The question is whether we're smart enough to still be part of what the, what the biosphere is using us to trigger. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. What are your thoughts on the, the reintroduction of extinct animals through genetic cloning? 
Uh, you know, I watched Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, but are they, they're talking about doing it like with woolly mammoths. Yeah. This well, is a real possibility someday. Yeah, I know. Because the close ancestor of the woolly mammoth is still alive. Right. I know. I'd be down for seeing a woolly mammoth. In my in my the, mm. in the science museum in Rochester, there's a woolly mammoth that they found, you know. And sometimes I'm looking at that and I'm like, that's a giant, hairy-ass elephant, man. And it was walking around right in my, you know. I think, like, depending on what you do with it, you know, trying to reintroduce it into the biosphere could be a little dangerous. I mean, the thing, look, climate change is, uh, this is something I like to say, climate change is not our fault. And what I mean by that is we... Uh, you know, we found fossil fuels and they were awesome, you know, and they were just a continuation of what we'd always done, you know. And so we inadvertently, climate change was a mistake, you know. Now, if we don't do something about it, it's our fault, right? But, you know, and so you want to be really careful about unintended consequences. You know, so this is my same thing with uh, uh, with geoengineering. People talk like, oh, we should, you know, put uh, partic particulates in the atmosphere to make it more reflective. Hmm. I'm like, man, dude, we triggered the whole, we triggered climate change because, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what the consequences were. If we put those particles up there, how do we get them out? You're going to well, scoop them out with a net? Like, well, no, no, it, they'll rain down. You got to keep putting them in. That's the oh. problem. You got to keep putting them in. So what happens if like... One nation decides they don't want to do it anymore, you know, and or the right. whole thing falls apart. Now suddenly you're going to get massive changes. And so like anything like that, like why don't we just work on not using fossil fuels? You know what I mean? Like right. why take the hardest solution that's got the most uncertainty as opposed to the simpler solution, which just means building a different infrastructure? Yeah. And well, especially in California. I mean, this is one of the weirder places ever to not see solar power when it never, yeah. it never rains. Should be everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, yeah. Most yeah. things should be run on solar power. Yeah, why not, man? You got And solar is so efficient now. Like well, those, it's also those very difficult to get it up and running. Like I had a friend of mine who had his done for four or five months before he got approved. Wow. Because he said they, they, per, they make it difficult yeah. for you. Yeah, which is crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah. To, to be on solar power and not be on the grid. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, these are all the kinds of things that we're going to have to work out. I I'm hopeful. People are like, are you hopeful or not hopeful? Because, you know, I mean, I ran these, I did these models. One of the pieces of research we did was we modeled planets and civilizations, like alien civilizations. Mm -hmm. We, you know, developed a simple mathematical model about, you know, how a civilization will use a planet's resources to make more babies, alien babies, and then how the, you know, by using those resources, you feed back on the planet, right? And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to model the possible outcomes. Like, what is the generic outcome? You know, if I've got 100,000 civilizations, all being born in different places. What's the, you know, in general, what happens? And what we found is like basically four different possibilities. One was good news. Like in these models, there was like, you know, the, the population shoots up, the planet's temperature shoots up, but they come to a nice steady state. Like, you know, you know the population's stable, everything's good. So there in those models was hope. We also saw die off where like the population, you know, skyrockets the planet. Uh, they overshoot the carrying capacity of their planet. And then you get something like 70% of the population dying off. So like, you know, seven out of every 10 people, you know, is gone. So, you know, but then you come to a steady state. So look, maybe if you can survive the disaster, you can, you're still there. But and we the also. The real problem with surviving the disaster is how much of the information gets restored. Right. Right. Because you think about if you're killing seven out of ten people, how many of those seven people are the ones who know how to make cell phones? Yeah, exactly. That's a dark age, yeah. right? That's what happens in the dark age. I remember the first time I went to Europe and I saw those Roman, you know, the aqueducts, man, like five stories tall carrying water. You know, and by the uh, 900 AD, nobody knew how they got built. Yeah, there's you know? a few of those dips in human civilization. Right, right. And so it's not clear, especially with a society as complex as ours, right? If, like, the food doesn't arrive in my grocery store... What do I do? Right. Right. You know, I garden, but, you know, I'm not, you know. It's not enough. Not enough, it's right? It's not going to keep you alive. Yeah. So for a complex civilization like ours, even if you don't go extinct, 
you may not be able to have this kind of civilization. Mm. But we did find collapse. We did find complete like extinction curves as well, where you know the, the population went way up and then boom, dropped like a stone. And it would even we even found those we built into the models the possibility for the civilization to switch from a high impact resource to a low impact resource, like fossil to solar. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, because you know, planets have minds of their own. You know, right. there's an internal dynamics to planets, and you push them far enough, and they're just going to roll off. So we'd have ones where the the population went way up, they made the switch, and then the population started to come down, the planet started to cool down. Did then, you factor uh, in random geological events, random no. solar events, random no, asteroid events? Yeah, this was really all about just planet uh, civilization and its feedback on the planet. Mm-hmm. You could We could build right. models like that. That would but, be one of the major issues with any advanced civilization is it's a matter of time before something happens, yeah, right? Yeah. As we said, you know, we know that Mars has been hit before. We right. know Earth's been hit. The moon's been hit. Everything, yeah. I mean, the moon is one of our best examples. We just look at it and yeah. you see craters everywhere yeah. because it doesn't have an environment or and an atmosphere. Right? The moon was built by a huge impact right. between Earth and Mar- a Mars-like body, right. you know, at the beginning of the planet's history. So, yeah, those happen all the time. I think if you get advanced, you know, so like we're on the lip of being a multi-planet species, right? And once you do that, which means you become a space-faring race, then I think like certainly the asteroid stuff you can take care of, right? We've already done, we've identified like a huge fraction of all the Earth-crossing asteroids. Like we're not really sure what to do about them if we find one coming at us. But we see some coming at us all the time where yeah. they just recognize them a few hours before right. they're near. Right, right. That, but as That you, happened a couple weeks ago. Right. And, you know, luckily it always, you know, it passes. You can, I mean, not like always. so- yeah. So we couldn't really like, you know, we're young enough now that if we discovered one heading right towards us, we could just, you know, you know, put your legs between your, you know, your yeah. head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye. Um, but uh, but in time, right, 200 years from now, we will have done a much better job of mapping out all the major rocks. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, I'm really, that's, so? that's, you know, I mean, if we have that kind of planetary, interplanetary, we're going to be mapping them out just because you don't want to run into them or you're going to be mining them. What right? do you think is uh, promising in terms of the ability to prevent impacts? Uh, there's a couple of things. Um, I think the best one, if you catch it early enough, there's the gravity tug where you just literally park a spaceship next to it and slowly have the spaceship, you know, move, you know, cause you all you have to do is alter the trajectory a little bit, you know, you just really have to kind of long... tap on it. Yeah. And it'll, you know, um, cause shit in space is just so vast that a little tap will make it miss. So the gravity tug, you know, you don't have to try and do the, you know, pop, what was it? What was the movie apocalypse? The one with the, from the nineties with the, uh, the space miners. Oh, Armageddon. Armageddon. Yeah, thank you. And then there was a Deep Impact, too. Deep Impact was the smart one. Yeah, Armageddon was the dumb one. But they rip each other's off, right? Because they both came out at the same time. I know. I think Deep Impact came out first, but it was developed second. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a bummer to be the one that, like, you know, they both come out at the same time, and your movie doesn't get any attention, and Mm. the other one becomes, like, a massive hit, you know? Yeah. Well, so uh, so like you know, there they drilled holes and stuff, and you know, try and blow them up. But then the problem there is you now have a bunch of rocks, and if some of those rocks are big enough, so I think the gravity tug is kind of probably the the best idea. But you know, because of um, uh, mining asteroids, we'll probably you know those little ones maybe the easiest to you know to mine. So, mm. what are you worried about more than anything in terms of climate change? Like, are you worried about the rising of the ocean levels? Are you worried about the heating of the actual planet? The temperature being unsustainable for human life. Like, what are you worried about the most? Uh, the one thing I'm worried about the most, like we were talking before, you know, technological societies are these like overlaid networks. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the transportation network, you got the energy network, you got social networks, you know, and those are really complex. And so I do a little what's called network theory. And what you find with network theory is that you, you know, you may have an individual network that's pretty robust, meaning like I can cut some of the, the connections. Like, you got your social network, I could take 
you know, 20% of the people out of your social network. And the social network will still function, you know, like still, most people will still talk to each other or anything. But once you start layering them, so the social network is now connected to the telecommunications network, which is connected to the energy network, blah, 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 then you can ripple a small change, ripples through the whole thing and blows it apart. And it just mm. doesn't function anymore. So, you know, I don't need like apocalypses to have the fabric of technological civilization fall apart. Like, so if, the, if just the weather patterns change enough, that agriculture becomes really hard. You know, right. we're used to the rains falling pretty much the same way they do yearly and everything that, you know, like we talk about, you look at what the, uh, you know, like refugees, how much, you know, the uh, uh, trouble, you know, having a huge influx of refugees can cause climate change is going to have people moving all over the planet because now they can't grow food anywhere. So it's like, I don't, you know, like I said, you don't need, I do worry like ocean rise is going to be huge. Most people live in coastal cities. Most of the wealth in the world is in coastal cities. Um, but you don't really need too much to like really shift the weather patterns. And then the thing you're used to falls apart. Now, when you factor in human beings and our evolution from primitive hominids to what we are today, and you sort of extrapolate and keep going and think about what we're going to be in the future, and then think about what these creatures might be that live a hundred million light yeah. years away or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. What, I mean, we've got, I've got to think that whatever is holding us back, our primitive instincts, these human reward systems that were engaged when we were running away from wild animals yeah. and fighting off tribes of invaders, that slowly but surely those are going to either evaporate or evolve, and we're going to get to a point where we can be more rational yeah. about complex issues. If we do do that, like, what is the motivation for expanding the human race isn't sustaining the human race in a healthy way on this planet a better option than traveling to mars or traveling to the other solar systems like wouldn't we be better served trying to achieve some sort of a balance here on this planet i think the um i think one serves the other. Like we, you know, you look at the human migration patterns from when we started, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we started off as a, you know, a bunch of people in Af Africa, maybe a few thousand, right? And then you see this, you know, uh, migration, like, or, you know, so, you know, a bunch of us, like a few hundred crossed the Red Sea, which was pretty low at the time. And then it's like, they just worked their way around the coasts, you know, took boats over to Australia, mm -hmm. went all the way back around through... Like, we're explorers, man. Like, you know, it's yeah. really, I think, something fundamental to, for us psychologically to have these frontiers. Exactly. That's you know? my question, though. So will we evolve past that? Well, I don't think that's a bad thing. I you think don't the think bad. So? Yeah, yeah. I don't think this bad thing. Because, again, you know, this goes back to the biosphere. This is kind of like, I think there's something deep in life that wants more life, right? So if we call, mm. you know, settle Mars, right, then it's not going to be really us settling Mars, it's going to be the Earth's biosphere. Right. I mean, really, sure, right? We are. That's we what are we are. The We're the agent of the biosphere. Right? right. And, you know, the biosphere started off as like, you know, single celled creatures in like little tiny parts of the planet and then, you know, conquered the oceans. And then eventually when there were, you know, because in the beginning there weren't continents. The Earth was a water world when we started off. And so when, you know, there was enough continents, um, you know, then they took over the you know, life, took over the land. I think it's just kind of life may be kind of like a cosmic force if I can get all woogly on you, you know? So if we do go to Mars, it will essentially be ultimate panspermia. Yes. 
Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that yeah. way, right. Panspermia, which is a weird, always a weird word. You kind of like use panspermia. Well, it's um, just because people are sh- they feel weird about sperm. <laughs> sperm. Right. I know. It's always, whenever I give an academic talk, I'm like panspermia. Um, I know. It's a strange. <laughs> when you say sperm in front of people, they're like, "You piece of shit." Yeah. Right. It's what like, are no, you no, doing? It's a scientific term, man. I swear. Doesn't matter. Not, yeah. It's like saying niggardly. Yeah. Right. It's a right. It's very, there. very difficult yeah. word to say, yeah. even though it has nothing to do with the N word. Yeah. So. Um, uh, you know, I think I think it's part of life. I think life wants more life. And this is right. the question you're raising about, like, what do we look like in a million years? What happens to a species that become... And you know, now we're in the realm of science fiction, but yeah. you know, it's all cool. Um, you know, like, what might we become? Like the gods in some sense. Do you think that... This is my theory, and I've thrown this out so many times people are sick of it. But I think <laughs> that what we're looking at when we see these archetypal aliens with the big heads and the big eyes and the tiny bodies and no genitals... I think we think this is what we're eventually going to be. And oh, genitals? Think, yeah. Really? No, yeah, that I think we're going to move past that. Oh, man. Well, I'll see you <laughs> in your panspermia. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll raise you Typical some genitalist men. aliens. Yeah, right. <laughs> Typical I'm not males going there, yeah. talking about gender. <laughs> this is the problem uh. with science. This is why we need diversity. Um, I just think that. If we so could those are get, archetypes kind of built into yes, us in some sense that to, we're moving past like well what did we used to be well we used to be monkeys yeah, right and what yeah. are we going to be well we're going to be that thing yeah that thing yeah. that can levitate things with its mind yeah. that thing that communicates telepathically yeah. that thing that has this uh, in, incredible ability to map out the cosmos and create wormholes and the, the super advanced intellect super advanced yeah. to the point where. We can't even comprehend. So, like, if you think about how, what, you know, we evolved from, at one point in time, we split from mollusks, like, what? 600 something like, million, yeah, years million years ago. ago. It's got to be on. It's it got to be past the Cambrian explosion. But you know, it's like yeah, 300, right. 400. I don't know. Yeah, but so like a while ago. How how much does a squid understand about yeah. cell phone networks right. and whether or not right. sprints? You know, unlimited data off. plan is really any good. <laughs> they yeah. don't. Well, we'll extrapolate that to what this alien creature is going to be in yeah. terms of its understanding yeah. of time and space yeah. and matter versus ours. Yeah. We are this crude thing that's weirded out by the word sperm, whereas it is telepathically communicating with a universal language and it has this unbelievable ability to manipulate matter, and they've achieved homeostasis with their environment. Right. They no longer have this. Well, that's one of the things about, you know, there's the Fermi paradox, right? Yeah. You know, like, why haven't we seen, so you know, as I already said, like, we haven't looked enough to say that the we haven't seen evidence of life. Right. Hour. It's like opening your door and going, well, where are all the buffalo? Yeah. <laughs> Right. You got to go to Wyoming, yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> but there, you know, there is a kind of a problem with because we're just doing a paper on this now. You know, part of the Fermi paradox. Let's get. I, I don't want to go too far on this. We can come back. Circle Please back do, to it though. later. Um, I like it. So, Fermi yeah, paradox is fascinating. It is right. So the so the the, the idea that explain we have, it to people. Okay, so means. the Fermi paradox is the idea that like uh, you know what, if there is if the paradox part is like if you're telling me that intelligence is common, it evolves everywhere. Then why don't I see it already? Right. right. So the the if you're asking about like why don't we see signals from that I've already answered that right because we just we haven't looked yet so we that's haven't looked enough. yeah but part of his question and this was done by a guy in Hart I mean you know, so Fermi was just this happened over a conversation in, for lunch you know 1950 so uh, he just posed he he said where are they all but in 1975 a guy named Hart wrote a paper where he really mapped out the here's the main problem. Even if you're traveling at a tenth of the speed of light, if you manage to build like world ships that can travel across the stars, you know, and, and you're traveling at 0.1% of the speed of light, 
in you know, if, if you do that and you hop from one star to the other, build another ship, hop to the next one, in about 600,000 years, you have covered the whole galaxy, right? So 600,000 years sounds like a long time, but it's a tiny part of the galaxy's history. Galaxy is 10 billion years old. So in that case, like why, you know, then every, if, you know, just one species has to do that and they can cover the galaxy. So why aren't there, why don't we see the colony ships here, right? That's, mm. that's a much harder version of the Fermi paradox to get around. Um, is it though? Because if we did look, we're already sending robots to Mars, right? right? We're not going to Mars yet, but we're sending robots there. What if we decide that there's no real benefit in sending biological entities into space, and that the the dangers of radiation and asteroidal yeah. impacts and this is just too great? Yeah, yeah. It's far better to send something. I mean, look at what we're capable of doing now in terms of projection of video. We can take a, a cell phone video and you can send it to your friend in New Zealand and they can get it almost instantaneously. You don't have to go to in, uh, you New don't have Zealand. To go right, there. right. Like, do a, do a if, Skype call with right. Them. right. If we can get some sort of 3D virtual reality imaging of these planets, like, hey, man, do you want to see what it's like on Pandora? Here, put these goggles yeah. on yeah. and you will go wherever right. you want that robot to go right. and you'll be there. Yeah, right. And right. maybe it'll get to the point where you can actually smell it and touch it and feel it, and but not be compromised by its environment in right. terms of your biology. Well, that's actually a huge point. So that's one of the things we're looking at in this paper is the idea that, you know, good planets may be hard to find, you know. There's this great uh, uh, novel by Kim Stanley Robinson, who's like just, for me, one of the great science fiction writers, and it's called Aurora. And, they, you know, they, it's the usual world ship thing. You know, so they build the colony ship. It takes, you know, uh, uh, three generations to cross space, and they get to the planet. And the planet sucks. It looked like it was going to be good, you know, but there's like prions, tiny, you know, super small biological shit that just makes you, you can't live there. And they're yeah. going back, right? So it's like, it may be exactly like you're saying that, you know, we think like, oh, you just land on a planet, you terraform it, and, you know, you just turn it into habitable. And it's like, that may not work. And maybe right. it does, but that's a science fiction idea. So, uh, right. It's entirely possible. I mean, there's a lot of possible solutions to this, which is just that, uh, you know, one of which is space travel is really hard and really interstellar, not interplanetary, but interstellar travel is really hard and really expensive. I was just reading a paper on this where the guy estimated that in order to get like, say you wanted to have a thousand people on a world ship to get to another star, that would take the economy, the com you need like, a th uh, uh, I think it was like a hundred thousand Earth economies to build that. You know what I mean? Jeff Bezos, are you listening? <laughs> By the time we're ready, you might have 100,000 economies. But it was just like, it was so much that, like, you know, you, unless you were, he said, you know, with the conclusion he came to, unless you were a multi planet species, if you were like, mm. a, if you had conquered the entire um, uh, or settled the entire solar system, maybe you'd have an economy that big. So, one, one possible solution is good planets are hard to find. And, um, and uh, you know, it's just too expensive. It really costs a lot. And so, yeah, it's not really worth. You know, the effort. You, you, you know, you send out some probes once in a while, but, you know, it's not. Well, it's also finding an environment that's not just habitable, but stable. I mean, our environment yeah. is habitable, but look what's going on in Hawaii right now. There is a 400-year-old lake that evaporated in a matter of hours. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's the biggest lake on the Big Island. Yeah, it's yeah. gone. Right. Which right. is such a tragedy. Yeah. So, but it's not. It's not. It's, it's just also what magnificent. Right. And you watch that lava roll into oh, that man. lake and say, "That's a wrap, kids. Yeah. No more lake, you yeah. fucks." Yeah. And, and it, it really shows you the power of a planet too, right? Yeah. I mean, of, sure. you know, the, That's the forces at work. What makes continents? I mean, yeah. it made the yeah. island in the first place. Yeah, right. You can't the be upset at it. Billowing off. It and... is what made the island, right. and it's continuing to make the island bigger. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, you're crying about your house, but now you got more real estate. 
made. So shut well, up. It's making the island bigger, and it's always done that. Yeah, it's right. been doing that for millions of years. Yeah. It's a fascinating place. Yeah. If you've been, I've been, and I've seen the. I did went to the park. The, the, did you do the helicopter thing? No. Oh no. man, you got to do the helicopter thing. Just it's crazy because you fly over the volcanoes. Well, you can't now, right? Because it's too crazy. But I did it a few years back, and you could watch it, the lava go into the ocean. Yeah. And you see these lava vents pour this red, hot fucking. Yeah. It's like it's glowing. Yeah. And it's going into the ocean during the day. I saw yes. that part. We went to the the park to Amazing. see it. You know. And you know, then when when you went when you go to that volcano park, there's just like vents where steam's coming out, like yep. New York City with the you know the, the yep. manholes. You're like, what the? That's like right. that's just from this heat coming yeah. up from the bottom of the planet. Yeah. Are you scared about Yellowstone? Uh, like the uh, what was that movie? Uh, 2012. Nah. Like where that because that's like such a that's like a you know that's what made the Adirondacks right you know what, the was, Adir- the, what was the 2012 movie I never uh, saw that uh, with ja- uh, Cus- day after tomorrow day before tomorrow no 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 that's no a no, no. it was uh, it that's was a climate change movie, it was John actually. Cusack it's actually a pretty good movie oh yeah it's that's another right. like destroy the planet those guys who made that hold on stop right there that was not a pretty good movie that movie uh, sucked I thought it was good that movie was so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> No, they it was stupid. Constantly it was totally missed stupid. disaster by inches <laughs> with cars. <laughs> they never got a flat. They always got away from the the world caving in. Dude, behind totally them. believable, man. Oh yeah, man. Like super believable. Um, yeah, no, I thought it. was. Well, Yellowstone is a caldera. It's a super volcano, right. and they're experiencing thousands of earthquakes a year. Yeah, and that eventually. Yeah, right, you can well, get one that's... every six to eight hundred thousand years, it's a continent killer. The yeah. last time it blew was six hundred thousand years ago. Yeah. So yeah. why aren't you scared? Uh, I don't know. I just don't think about it. Man. I'm fucking thinking about it every day, man. I'll smoke a joint and think about it. Uh, once a month. I think about Yellowstone. Really? About Yellowstone? Yeah, yeah. So I, I just, think, you know, I should. Okay. I'm going to add that to my list of things I'm freaking out about. Okay? I have friends in Australia and that's where I'm going. Yeah. Because there's Fly nothing. over, just start driving on the left hand side. That <laughs> <laughs> might um, be the only thing you can go to. I worry more about Seattle. I lived in Seattle for a while. You know, and they said the super earthquake mm-hmm. that they're looking at that's going to turn the whole thing into jello, right? You get an earthquake so bad that the ground just literally becomes porous. Is so, it really uh, that scary there? Yeah. Yeah, they're predicting because you know Seattle's got like I mean I don't know that much about this I'm way out of my uh, I'm in the danger zone. Um, the plates are super deep, you know, so you don't get as many tremors. But but you know when it releases, it's gonna you know it, it's just be a super powerful earthquake, and you know it'll it'll be so powerful. Yeah, that they said that like there's not gonna be a lot even even with the uh, the earthquake proofing, there's not gonna be a lot left standing. Jesus. So yeah. Damn, have you, have you Seattle. Been, you must be, I mean, because you're here, right? You feel tremors. They must. They happen all the time, right? I've only been no, a few times when I felt tremors. not all the time. No. I've felt them before. The The biggest ones I ever felt was when I first moved here. I first moved here in 94, and it was right after the Northridge earthquake. Yeah. And uh, I was in my house, and I felt, uh, I guess it was like a 5.5 where the whole thing just... It was weird. Like, yeah. it, it gave me the impression that the house that I was living in, or the apartment that I was in, was made out of the same stuff... Like a box that a refrigerator would come in. Yeah. You know how like you kind yeah. of move it around? Yeah, yeah. you can go and play like. inside. Yeah. The whole thing was just moving like easily left and right. I was yeah. like, holy shit. Well, that was my, I've only had a few times that I've, you know, felt like, I'm like, it's like, it's, you know, at first I thought it was a truck. I thought a truck was rolling by. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, and somebody's like, no, man, that was an earthquake. And the one that I experienced was nothing. I mean, it's a yeah. baby one. The yeah, ones that look- they're getting, you know. Right now, somewhere in the world, I mean, there's there's always something that's like a five or yeah. a six. Or, yeah. So yeah. this goes back to your point about the, uh, you know, a lot of planets, right, will be like way more 
plate tectonically active. Volatile. Yeah, than ours. So, you know, I mean, a lot. I mean, I think good planets are going to be like really hard to find. Yeah. So, you know, it may be that may be the solution. The other solution is, you know, I mean, the way you guys found out about it was I did that article about the um, previous civilization. You know, like, was there, how do you know whether or not there was a previous civilization yes. on Earth? And, uh, you know, um, one solution could be that, look, they were here. You know, that somebody did arrive and spent some time on Earth. But if it was like half a billion years ago and they only lasted, right, every civilization has a finite lifetime. If they only lasted for, you know, even a, a few hundred thousand years, they wouldn't leave. There'd be no record left. There would be know? nothing left. There'd be nothing left. Do you so. think that's possible that something's ever visited here? And because that is the big question and that's the... The the thing that gets the UFO dorks more uh, jazzed up than anything is the possibility that we've been visited. Yeah, not in the. I'm I'm definitely not U, UFOs. There's there's I have two arguments against UFOs. Uh, one is as as you know, a friend of mine, Jason Wright, says is like, look, as astronomers, man, we you know we're finding all those asteroids. We're finding little chunks of rock moving. You know, nobody looks at the sky harder than we do, right? right? And you know, if anything, unless you want to go to the conspiracy theories. We would have found something. My other argument is like, what's with the headlights? You know what I mean? People are always like, oh man, I saw lights in the sky and then they moved around and then they disappeared, you know, but they don't really want to be seen. I'm like, well, why do they have headlights on? Like, why just turn off the freaking lights? It just. Why would they know, have lights in the first place? Why do they have lights in the, like what? You, you know, you came from another civilization and you can't yeah. get around without your high beams? You well, know, the I mean, idea is uh, what the fuck are you seeing with those lights? Right. And you're not seeing shit. Yeah. Like, right. When was the last time you saw, I mean, planes have lights so other planes don't run into them. They don't have lights so they can see where they're going. Yeah. So what? So why do they have, right, exactly. Yeah. The planes have lights so other people can see them. So if they're That's here, it. but they're yeah. mysterious, they don't want to be found, mm. then turn off the freaking lights. So, well, they, yeah. yeah, they wouldn't have any lights. Right. Yeah. They always have lights. Yeah. That That's true. true. People are always seeing like, yeah. oh, man, I saw lights in the sky and then they move back and forth. And so well, I just this think is also like, a problem with human memory. Memory is right. horrible. Yeah. And memory of events that are stunning or shocking yeah. or unnerving or you think you saw something. Right. They've done all that research, even in trials, right, where yeah. people, you know, see things. Current. So Dude, I just UFOs, you know, I'm just kind of like. But you think it's possible that there could be life on other planets and it's possible that there could be intelligent life on other planets and we send probes to Mars. Why wouldn't we, and I think that if they do send something here, they're going to send something without biological life inside of it. Yeah, you know, well, this is, you know, what's a really interesting question is like, and we're talking about like, what will we evolve into in you know a million years? Uh, you know, it may be possible that biology is a short period of intelligence. Yeah, like you just you build machines, and the machines become you know well, either you AI. download yourself into them. I mean, that's a real possibility that like you know, silicon makes a lot more sense than wetware. Well, you the know? problem is we think of artificial intelligence as artificial. Right. It's definitely real. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's, exactly it's it. Not, it's not fake. It's right. right there. Right. You know, it's like there's artificial milk. You know <laughs> what I mean? But it's it's a liquid. It's an actual liquid. Yeah. There's not an artificial life. It's right. just silicon-created life. Right. But and that's, again, the idea that the biosphere, this may be the, what the biosphere solution to spreading itself, right. you know, to getting it maybe that like, yeah, silicon, that, that's a kind of a, a normal phase. I mean, I'm, I am super uh, skeptical about like the whole transhuman thing about we're going to download ourselves into intelligence, you know, into computers. Are you, have you ever gone to one of those conventions and uh, talked no, to those dorks? No, <laughs> there's some pretty serious dorking oh, going on there. Well, there's geniuses in those dorks too. It's right. really interesting. It's like they're fully, wholly committed to this prospect of downloading themselves. Have you talked to Kurzweil before? Uh, no, but I've read his stuff. I yeah. had a chance to interview him a few years back for sci-fi. He's super smart. That He's dude is like beyond, super smart. But yeah. God damn, is he committed to it? And then when you get to it, you realize that what he actually wants to do is recreate his father. 
Yeah, he's uh, he, his father died when he was young, and he wants to be able to, through memories and photographs and what he knows about his father, literally recreate his father Won't and, be, his and father. Have a, be able to have a conversation with him. Yeah. He, he was talking about this. Right, right. But what he's doing is ex- he's going way, way into the future, into the possibilities of he's not seeing like, well, five years from now, we're going to be able to send, you know, gigabyte pictures through the mail. No, he's saying... Let's think of if you keep going exponentially and uh, right. electronics right. and technology and innovation keeps continually accelerating, we could potentially get to the point where it's the, the impossible. Well, you would be able to recreate human beings based on your knowledge of them and, and, and they'll be able to come up with some sort of a program where he'll be able to have a conversation with his father. Yeah, see, I think that misunder... I mean, I think it's, you know, it's true about like the possibility of a singularity in technological development, but you know, it's not going to be his father. That's the sad right. thing. You right. know, I think we seriously, you know, I've done some work on this as an interest of mine about mind. What is mind? You know, right. what's the relationship between mind and matter? And um, I think we have like a serious misunderstanding. We don't understand consciousness very well at all. So the idea that like, oh yeah, it's just going to be trivial to download your, you know, your consciousness into a computer, I think it's pretty, you know, there's like a shitload of assumptions in there about like what mind is and the relationship between like your neurons and, you know, awareness. Yeah. So that's why I think those guys, it's a little bit of a religion. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it is a little yes, bit of a religion. Will transcend yeah. and, you know, so it's like Well, 2045 is the new benchmark for whatever reason. That's the new number. They're going to keep pushing back. It's going to be like every other, you know, uh, every other rapture. Oh, we thought it was 2045. We really meant 2065, you know? Well, we went to this 2045 conference, me and my friend Ari and Duncan, and we got to talk to some of these guys, and it was really fascinating. And one of them had created some robot that was supposed to be him, but it didn't work well, so they never revealed it at the conference. It had too many bugs in it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's intriguing. It's like I want them to keep going. Because, I mean, when, when are we going to get to Ex Machina? Yeah. When are we going to get That's, to- Talk about good movies, though. Did you like that one? One of my favorite movies uh, ever. So smart. So, Loved like, just, it. like, simple. He's Perfect. not beating you over the head with it. It's no just cut like- the shit mo- mo- yeah. moments in that movie. Yeah, no, no. You I were like, was, whoa. The, the entire- I think that's one of my all-time, like, yeah. top 20 movies When for she sure. stabs him, just emotionless. Oh. Just like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm putting the blade in. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, Spoiler no, was- alert. Yeah, right. <laughs> did you like uh, Annihilation? Because yes. That was his, I yes. Thought, yeah, I liked I it did. a lot, too. I didn't like it as much, but I no. liked it. It was very weird. And yeah. the ending seemed like some producers put their jizz in the soup. And just like, <laughs> Back to Pants Burby. Yeah, what yeah. Is, what's happening here? Who made this part? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, I mean, and the danger with anything when it comes to AI. and So, so when you, here's an interesting thing about AI. Like, we're, we are getting, making amazing strides with AI. Yeah. Now, now, artificial intelligence is different from artificial consciousness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, but, um, but the AI that, you know, what we're getting out of it is nothing like us, right? So the, you know, back in the day where people were like, oh, we're going to, like, model the human brain. And that's how we'll do it. We'll, like, make right. programs that are what. And what they've learned is, like, oh, that doesn't really work that well. So now this the whole big data thing, like, you know, network theory and big data and deep learning, where, like, you know, they're using statistical, you know, the power of, of having huge amounts of computing and statistical reasoning so that, like, you know, yeah, the computer, like, you know, it'll find the picture of the cat, but you have no idea why it found the picture. It didn't reason, like, oh, yeah, that sort of looks like cat, and I like cats. You know, it was just like, oh, these kinds of lines go with that kind of thing. It has no idea what it's doing, but it'll act intelligently. And so that's, you know, I mean... That's kind of freaky deaky in a lot of ways too. I, I think people are. I think it's it's smart to think about the dangers of AI, not necessarily. Well, when the it dangers takes over- to us. Yeah, not right. necessarily the dangers. 
Just the dangers to this thing that we are, this weird monkey thing yeah. that wants to keep being a monkey thing. Yeah. Well, you mean in the sense of like, right, that it's going to replace us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's inevitable. I mean, do you, don't you think that if you go back and interview the single-celled organism before it branched off into multi-celled... <laughs> That'd be kind like, of a hey, boring man, interview. <laughs> fuck this multi-celled bullshit. I want to stay a single cell at the bottom of the These ocean. These guys are assholes, yeah. man. With what their rock do? and roll music. What are they going to do? They're going to make phones. cars? Fuck that. I don't want a car, man. I like staying down here. Yeah. Like, there, there's a real thought to that, yeah. that we are the wetware that yeah. is the problem. Yeah. No, no, listen. I, I think... It's fully conceivable. Like, I'm not going to be like, it'll never happen. But as a, a guy I know who's a philosopher says, you know, there's a certain way in which everything we do with AI right now, it's not like, you know, Watson is playing chess. It's like we're using Watson to play chess. It's our tool, you know. And mm -hmm. I think the, per the, the fear is the tool gets out of hand. Not that it, like, develops a thing where, like, I hate humans, you know. Dad, I hate you. But more that it's like... You know, these things which are not actually thinking, they act intelligent, but they're not thinking, can have a huge, like, it'll have a really negative impact. You know, it'll, it'll, you know, what is it? There's that example of, like, if you design something that is an AI system to make paper clips, it ends up consuming the entire planet making paper clips because mm. that's what you told it to do. Right. You never told it to make a sustainable amount of paper right, clips. Right. Exactly. So I'm, I'm more worried about that than I am of, like, Skynet. You know, coming over and like, you know, deciding that it's going to, you know, take, uh, drop all the bombs on us because it needs to get rid of us. Well, there's no biological imperative for uh, a silicon based artificial intelligence to procreate, to keep going and move forward. Like, why would right. they do that? Right. We do it because we came from biology and right. biology needs to stay alive yeah. and everybody wants bigger, faster, stronger. You want to keep moving. And it's because there's a real possibility that you might get consumed by some other yeah. life form. Yeah. So you have to protect yourself and you have to look out for other people who might want to breed with the viable female right. that you've copulated with. Right. There's a lot of shit that's yeah. going on. Yeah. It's that, built in evolutionarily to have that. Right. right. That we assume that somehow or another these artificial creations will have as well. Right. Which is why, right? Why? I mean, yeah, yeah like unless, if we, unless we program it in. So the thing is, like, but will it wake up? Like, well, so that's the well, even thing. if it does wake up, will it have the inclination towards scientific research? Would it even want to send something through the yeah. cosmos to yeah. view us? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really interesting, I, I, you know, and I think we just don't know, right? right. If it actually, because listen, we, we understand so little about what consciousness is and what its imperatives are. Yeah. Like, yeah, once you wake up or you're like, oh, you're dead, you know, dad, you, I got to kill. I mean, like, why? Like, who knows what really. Did you like Battlestar Galactica? I loved Battlestar Galactica. How goddamn good was that? Yeah, new, that the show. new version. The yeah, new no, the version. new version. Yes. The, the I got say, I, lo I love the old version the old because I was, yeah, I was yeah, 14 I was years old yeah. and I was like, yeah, spaceships. But the um, new version was amazing. So smart. If there is a show that I wish they would bring back, it's Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah. How'd you like the ending? What did you think good. about the ending, though? It was, you know, they had to end it. It was yeah. all right. Yeah. But the fucking series was brilliant. No. It was brilliant. You know what was amazing so about that? The way they wrapped, like, all the political shit that was happening after 9-11 mm -hmm. yes. into that, man. Yes. From, like, the torture scenes yes. to the... Yeah, man, it was so... And then they fucking even had the whole good. thing with Starbuck about, yep. you know, what was she? Yeah. I thought that, that was a... Re you know, there was a couple, like, it was five years, right? And there were a couple seasons where, like, it kind of got a little ran off the rails. That but, girl, um, what's her name? Katie Sackhoff? Is that her name? Who, who the plays? Starbuck? Yeah. Is that her name? Yeah. She's so good. Name. Yeah, she was really good in that role. Like, Being what? both like, tough and then also. I haven't seen her stuff since. She's got a movie out right now on oh, okay. Netflix. I haven't seen it, right? But I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, there's, you know. But she had, right, she sort of disappeared she after that. Good She was so good in that show. I was yeah. like, well, this is... 
this is like the launching pad for yeah, her. Yeah. And you know what's revolutionary about that show too? The way they did the special effects were like, you know, oh, the camera moved around. Like there's a spaceship, but I'm, you know, I don't have, it mm-hmm. didn't do, you know, it, sometimes it did those long pans, but it was, it kind of opened up a whole new way of sort of looking at, uh, you know, just sort of what it looks like to be in space and stuff. Yeah, but it really scared the shit out of people in terms of artificial life. Something yeah. that we create that decides yeah. it's done with us and it's taking over. Well, you know what's amazing about that? And this is, I've written about this, this idea that like, you know, we keep telling that story over and over again. Yes. Right? How many movies, you know, can you right. think of that have that? And I think like, so I'm really interested in myth, right? The, you know, the whole, you know, mythology, the way like, you know, we can never get away from the myths, you know, coming of age, the hero's journey, Joseph blah, blah, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, Joseph yeah. Campbell. I'm a big Joseph Campbell fan. Um but like, you know, what's happening with us now, we got there's nothing in the there's nothing in the storehouse of myth to take care of like building machines that take over, right? So the reason we keep telling that story over and over again is we're preparing ourselves, right? We're building the myths, you know, that sort of will help us. We don't know what's going to happen, but we have to keep telling that story because we can feel it coming. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like this is so we need to keep telling that story to ex- kind of explore what the options are. And I like, that's what I liked about the ending. And, you know, I didn't think the ending was great, but the idea that like, oh yeah, this balance, you know, you got to keep going through these cycles of trying to achieve this balance between, you know, silicon forms and non-silicon and, and biological forms. But um, well, it's we're inevitable. Not, we, we're worried that we're going to be taken over by something else, but we're not overly concerned with evolving our own biology I know. and changing. And yeah. maybe that's the solution in terms of our physical limitations is some sort of a symbiotic connection between us and technology that instead of artificial technology and artificial life taking over, usurping us, instead yeah. of that, maybe we become a part of it and it becomes a part of yeah. us. And we had, I mean, you have glasses on. You can right. see better with those glasses. That's essentially a, a cyborg. A, yeah. 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 Right. 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 And these things, you know, these cell oh, phones, God. my God, oh, my memory's in there, right? Dude, I used to know cell phones. You I know? left I my cell- house two days ago without my phone and I turned around in a panic on my <laughs> own street. I'm like, where's my fucking phone? Yeah. I was like, yeah. no. Do you remember when you used to have phone numbers in your head? Oh, yeah. You know, like you have, have like 20 three. phone numbers. Yeah, I, I can't even, numbers. My, my wife's number, I can't, like I got three digits out of it. Yeah. And I can't go further than that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so, crazy. We're, but we remember a lot of other stuff now. I mean, there, you yeah. have so much, I mean, f- I'm I'm really overwhelmed. I think I'm in that weird zone where I just don't have I don't I don't have enough data space. I don't yeah. have enough storage. Yeah. Yeah, for all this. That's you got to kind of pick and choose, right? Yeah. Sort of, you know. And there's just like with, with like Wikipedia, where all human knowledge, mm-hmm. the entire sum of human knowledge is right there. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean like, whoa, what a freaking I mean talk about changes, right? That you were talking about. What an amazing change that mm-hmm. you can have pretty much, you know, like, you know, I, you know, I love comics, right? You know, I was a comic Marvel guy Me way too. back, right? And back in the day, you know, you paid for your, you had to, you know, first of all, you got your ass kicked, but, um, you know, you had to go to the store every week and get the comics and, you know, and now, you know, you just look up Captain America and you can know everything there was about his, you know, his origin story and right. everything. So it's like that idea that like, there's no domains of knowledge that you can't instantly access and have all the backstory that you need. That's well, gotta be a- physical comic books are amazing, but I have to be honest, Comic books on an iPad are better because you don't see the next frame. Yeah, you yeah. You've, you yeah. you just swipe. Yeah, and then you get the next frame. You yeah. don't you don't see it in advance. Like if you're reading the left side yeah. of Doctor Strange yeah. and the right side is an explosion, yeah. you're like, well, I see that. Yeah. I see that shit's coming next. Yeah. yeah, like it's kind of a shitty way to do it. No, I agree. I on have an iPad. Have... It's fucking amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. No, and you do that thing, and now with the, <laughs> it's like embarrassing as a you know professor of physics at a major university. I have like. Three thousand dollars worth of comic books. But why is that embarrassing? IP. No, it's not embarrassing. It can't you know? be. No, you, no, you're it's not. still a 
brilliant guy, but you just also like cool shit. Yeah, well, shouldn't I be reading like Dostoevsky or something? I don't know. You know, it's it's from you know my dad was my dad was always like Dostoevsky because my dad was a writer. He's like, oh, you comic books, you know. But I was like, Dad, I'm learning, especially with Marvel, right? Marvel yeah. had great language, right? I great learned the language. word synopsis sure. from Marvel, you know. Yeah. So uh, especially yeah. like yeah, I mean, some of the like Doctor Strange had some great shit. You know, Fantastic Four. I didn't. Yeah, no, the Doctor. You know, it's I was the the science advisor for Doctor Strange. With for the movie. For the movie, yeah. Were you really? Yeah, yeah, that's it was. amazing. Uh, best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I say, did you have to was, correct anything? Uh, no, no, not really, because they called me in. So I know Scott Derrick. Actually, I had lunch with uh, breakfast with Scott uh, yesterday. I know Scott from my first book, which is about science and religion. You know, so I, you know, and we got somebody you know connected us, and we've been talking for a long time. And when he got tapped to do Doctor Strange, he contacted. Like I said, you know, email said Marvel wants to talk to you. You know, it's like, oh, thank you. And, uh, you know, I got out there for a day. I met Kevin Feige, man. It was just like, wow. oh, man. And so we basically worked on, he wanted to work on two, uh, two things for that. And what's funny here is, I never read Doctor Strange, right? Because I was like a science guy. I was all about Tony Stark, sure. and, you know, or you know, or uh, 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 Spider Man or the X Men. So I never. I was like, oh, that guy uses magic. So the thing we had to figure out was, um, first of all, that that scene where he first encounters the Ancient One, mm -hmm. you know, and she has to kind of like you know school him on there's more ways to think about the world than science. Uh, and then the, the multiverse. That was the other thing. Because mm -hmm. uh, I've written a lot on the multiverse. But man, it was awesome. It was so much fun to be in the writer's room, you know, with them and just like be throwing around ideas. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, it was, <laughs> you know, and it'll probably never ever happen again, but I don't care. You know, I don't oh, care. I got listen, my man. shot. At, you know. It is a weird thing that when you're young, you like all this cool stuff, but then when you get old, you're supposed to be more pragmatic. You're supposed to abandon that stuff and be mature. But when I was a kid, I was super embarrassed when I became an adult that I still liked muscle cars. Yeah. I was like, why do I like these stupid things? <laughs> and I loved them. I would see that's one good. drive by, I'd hear the rumble, I'd go, ooh. That's awesome. Look at that, <laughs> yeah. look at that thing. And then when I became uh, an older adult, I was like, who gives a fuck? That's really what it is. Yeah. That's where I'm now. Like, yeah. who cares, man? I you know, because I love video games. I play a lot of video games. And people are always like, oh my God, why are you playing you video dork. games? You're terrible. It's like children. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome, man. There is, right. not, there is no amazing. better way to kill an hour, especially after a stressful day, right. than to go and shoot aliens. You know, I mean, this is like, you know, I mean, this and is it very... stimulates the mind. I mean, Jamie and I have talked about this many times that we have this deep appreciation for chess and yeah. for Go and all these ancient yeah. games, yeah. but there are games like StarCraft and and, and even like one-on-one -on -one Quake matches that require intense calculating. You, right. have, you have to yeah. think about the environment, the understanding of the map that you're right. that you're competing in. Right. It's there's a lot of strategy. No, that's it's what's intense. really good about it. I mean, I, I tend to be, I do a lot, I really like RPGs, you know, so uh, like with, a, with a map and everything. Oh, so, you're one of them EverQuest dorks. Uh, well, I don't do ever, I don't do anything multiplayer, <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm so bad at it that like, I know there's some kid, some 13 year old in Korea who's just like, you're dead, yeah. you're dead, spawn, die, spawn. But I like something with a really good story, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Um, what do you, what, what's the game you like? Oh God, my favorite game is Last of Us. Ooh, I just what think, is that? Oh man, Last of Us, it is. Because I don't, like, I don't like zombie games because I get scared. You know, you get I mean, scared. <laughs> ever since when I, I saw um, what Night about of the Living versus Dead. Zombies, that's a nice simple <laughs> yeah, one. A, yeah, right, that might work. Uh, no, I saw the um, Night of the Living Dead when I was like twelve. It was on PBS on a little screen, and it's just like after that. I'm sorry, zombies. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was on, I can't believe they put it on TV. Like, you know, for it was like the 11 o'clock uh -huh. show. So, uh, but Last of Us is kind of a zombie survival story, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's really the narrative of it. It's this guy, you know, it's 20 years after. And the, the, the thing about this thing, it opens up with the, you know, the zombie outbreak happening. And the guy loses his daughter. 
Like you see him lose his daughter and it's so well. It's the same company that did um, uh, Uncharted, which are other, I really like those as well. Um, and so it's just like the acting in it was really beautiful. And then, you know, it's 20 years later and this guy's broken. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he's a, you know, he's, he survived in this, you know, the society's fallen apart. Um, but, uh, you know, you just, you, you track him as he gets this, this young girl who is immune and he's got to take her cross country to, you know, and you're following this guy's story and, you know, and then there's zombies Isn't and there's that a, a, the theme of a movie, a really recent movie. Wasn't that like a, oh, that like, was, a uh... like a, a foreign movie with a, yeah. a foreign zombie movie that was supposed to be very good, but that was the idea behind it. it yeah, like, but it was his own daughter, wasn't it? Or yeah. no, maybe it wasn't well, it Schwarzenegger. I bet they took it from this because I this bet is, they did. yeah. Because, you know, so Last of Us has won like huge amounts of awards. How old slowly. is it? Uh, six years, maybe. Last mm. of Us 2 is just about to come out. Well, the Schwarzenegger movie is older than that, I believe. Because it came out oh, right yeah. around the time where his wife left him because he banged the maid. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, downfall. Yeah. Whoops. He was the governor then. Wasn't he the governor? Or was he post-governor? He was post. It was post. Oh, post-governor. Yeah. 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 Um, but that that theme is a reoccurring theme. That is a reoccurring theme. More you know, than anyone. A, right, right. right. I mean, how many the, times has that come back? Yeah. The plague wipes yeah. people out. They come back to life. They're yeah. zombies. Yeah, I mean, so you got to wonder what's up with that. Like, why is that something that's like stirring around in our head? I think the apocalypse is because we kind of feel we're nervous about what's happening with us because we can see sort of sure. we're pushing up against boundaries. Well, we're also vulnerable. Yeah, right. And we're vulnerable to disease right. and we're vulnerable to, I mean, there's so many different things that people can get, rabies right. and malaria. And we had plagues. We used to have plagues all the time, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, no. And But that's what makes this game so great is that it really takes the world after the fall seriously. And it's heartbreaking. You know what I mean? That's It's beautifully done, scarier than shit, but, you know, beautifully done. And it's for me, it's like everything that I love most in the game. Because like you're saying is you get into these situations and, you know, you're going to get killed. You know, like there's Dark Souls where like there's no getting through. Dark Souls is apparently the most hardest game ever. I've never played it. But, you know, this game is hard and you got to keep coming What is coming Dark back. Souls? Dark Souls is uh, it's also a story-based, uh, you know, open world game. Single player. I think there's probably a multiplayer mode. But, um... Uh, it's like, you know, uh, a, a kind of an elvish, you know, you're in that kind of world. Medieval, and you're just trying to stay alive? Trying to stay alive. And it's just like the hardest game ever. That's what they say. Wow. Um, but like, you know, like I said, a good hard game, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you're gonna keep going back. Like, oh, I just died. All right, let me try, let me try coming around from this side. You know, oh, let me use this weapon. Let me, you know, and it's, it's really, you know, we did a, a my, my, um, I had a textbook that just came out a couple years ago and we did a video game. We built a full, first ever full video game for an intro astronomy course. And the whole idea was like, the coolest thing about a game is like the first thing you have to do is learn the rules, right? And that's what makes being in a game world interesting. You know, there's a whole set of rules. You got to know how to craft. You got to know which weapons to use in different kinds of situations. And our idea with the uh, video game was like, just make the real, the real rules. Make them the science rules, right? Oh, you right. want to go mine an asteroid? Well, how do you know which asteroid has, you know, the, the most, uh, you know, uh, ore in it? You know, hey, I'm just going to do what you're going to normally do in astronomy. So I think like, you know, video games have not recognized, they haven't, like you said, People don't understand actually how important they are, yeah. you know, for teaching, for all kinds of things, video games and for entertain, you know, for, for like a future of storytelling, too. You know? Well, people take them. They think that's a waste of time until they find out how much these professionals make. You know, right. someone was saying that right. some guy, what, 
what is the number that kid was making? $500,000 a month playing Fortnite? Wasn't that what Sean, yeah, that's what Sugar Sean was? It as, but that's way more than that. Oh he makes God. more than that? For sure. So what is Fortnite? Jeez. Can somebody explain Fortnite to me? I'm sorry. So, I'm still in Far Cry 5 right now. It's a right crazy third-person shooter. You're jumping around shooting people. I'm and, good with third-person shooters. Yeah. But, like, is it a story or is it just like you're, you know, you just got other people? people up, I think. Yeah, yeah the story is really just... Drop it into survive. Oh yeah, there's no campaign mode, or if there's there there is, but that's a separate. Yeah, that's not whatever. You know what's interesting to me about Fortnite? The graphics suck. Uh, Don't you add me. That's a graphic style that those that that it has. Yeah, because it does. It kind of has a like a like a uh, Xbox Two sort of. Yeah, yeah. Somebody had a uh, an image. And it was from 2007, and it said, man, look at this. I wonder what video games are going to be looking like, the graphics are going to be looking like in 2018. <laughs> and then it shows Fortnite. And it's like, this is like, dude. You did it's it. like they've turned the textures off. Yeah. They 100%, you turn the textures off when you play online if you don't have a powerful enough computer right, so sure. that you don't screw right, up like your Quake. streaming. Yeah. Right. So it yeah. doesn't make your streaming, it doesn't make your video game, video card work so hard. But also it makes it easier to recognize shapes. Because they're not as like that was the thing yeah. they did with Quake. They would completely turn the textures off when guys would be like playing in high level yeah. matches. Yeah. And you would just deal with these flat walls and then the object, the person that you were fighting against would they would be stand out in stark contrast. Right, right. So you didn't Whereas, have the... you know, otherwise you'd be in this castle wall, you'd have incredible textures on yeah. the wall and you wouldn't be able to see them as easily. You know, it'd be too distracting. I, I love I mean that's one of the thing I think I love about video games too, is like, you know, the scenery. Sometimes I just want to stop and be like, Whoa, yeah. dude, that's, that's it. like you know. the right side has full graphics. Oh, left yeah. side is not. So, like, yeah. it depends on what you were actually Yeah, the right looking. side's reasonable. I mean, it still is a little bit, Wait you know. Wait a minute. That's not much different at all. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, sort of. The left side is just dark. No, look, there's grass. There's yeah, look at the grass. Sky. Look how different yeah, the grass is. Yeah, but the, there's and... still some movement on the ground. It's not flat plane like it is in Quake. Go to Quake, play, go to Quake 3, no textures. Make a video or, or pull up a video of that, and you'll see what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like literal flat walls where people turned everything off, and it got to a point where they weren't allowing it in certain competitions because it makes such a big difference. Because now you're just like it's yeah. a target in front of a blank screen. Basically. They also you yeah. could also replace all of the characters with a larger character, like uh, like say if you were playing as like this girl. So like is this one? It's doing like it's showing the mod in between. Mm, maybe graphic. I'm this thinking. Might even be a new what is? Qu- right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm a loser. Is what is it. Quake? Like, I've heard of it. Dare you, you <laughs> son of a bitch! <laughs> so no, what? no, Jamie, pull pull up Quake. No textures. Pull up Quake. No textures, and then you can watch what it looks like. That is not no textures. That that's different. You can see the difference in the colors, and things are moving. It's when they turn off all the textures, you you get to see these flat. Well, that's what it looks like. Right. See. Yeah. Now yeah. that is a way different experience. Yeah, it would be much easier are, to, yeah. to see. Right, you can't. You Shadows can't, like, still exist, but all the textures are gone. Yeah. And if you show a video of that, see if you could find a video of that, Jamie. When uh, in the videos you see things moving around with no textures, and you realize what an advantage it would be if you were playing someone yeah. who's you're, you're constantly dealing with all this visual input. You have all this different shit. High visibility. This isn't Quake Three though. It's hard to find out. Who is this? Which game is this? That. Quake Live. Oh, okay. This is so. A new all right. One. Again, I still got to ask. What is Quake? I mean, I well, know I've heard of it, but I've never played it. Like, it's the ultimate first-person shooter, and it's the original one. Uh, it was originally Quake One, and well, there was Doom, but it was Doom. I've heard of. Like, yeah. Doom. I've even you know they just redid Doom, didn't they? They came out with another. Didn't they come out with yeah. another version of Doom? Yes, they did, and there's another one that's coming out soon. 
Um, but what Quake 1 was, was these cool maps, and you'd run around and shoot each other, and you'd have these death matches. So yeah. one-on-one death matches yeah. and shoot rockets at each other and right. shit. And um, it's you're seeing it through your perspective. Like, so if you have a rocket launcher, you see the rocket launcher in front this of you. Further right now. Oh, this so is, that whole idea whoa, of first person. What is this one? Oh, this is Quake Champions. Yeah, this is the, the newest version. I mean, the graphics are fucking incredible on these things now. They, they're they so exciting. We're going to have, we're setting up a, a LAN here, a local area network here, where we're going to stream live and, and play each other. Excellent. And uh, waste massive amounts of time. Massive amounts and of time. I'm sure I'm going to get oh, yelled man. at. Oh, man. Sometimes I'm sort of like, oh, three hours just went by. I was yeah. Gonna, I was going to go to sleep a little bit. Oh, well, whatever. Dude, but it, I, it will suck up your time. It'll suck up. But, you know, I can't play. I'm just, I'm not good enough to play those kinds of things. Like, it's just like spawn die, spawn die. No, you, know, you yeah. can figure out how to do it. Eh, You're just, a smart I, guy. How I, dare you say that? <laughs> how dare you put the limitations? On myself. Yeah. You can't, no, I'm, you I'm can't good. do that. I'm good Listen, with open words. You just need to learn left, W-A-S-D. Learn how to move your fingers around. <laughs> no, I'm a console a guy, too. I need the... Consoles yeah. are bullshit. I know. That's what people say. Listen, like, yeah, you can't get any real accuracy with a console. That's your problem. Wait, how do you do I mean, but yeah, with the figure, the type. I mean, the console now. I'm pretty hey, good. I listen can listen to you. Know. How do you learn physics? How do you? What is that? All this fucking. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't it, man. understand all this it. science. This is like that movie where you're like, you can do it, man. You can. Yeah, it's like Rocky or something. That's right. Exactly. Karate Kid or whatever. <laughs> for, <laughs> has anybody ever done that for video games? There's never been that movie where he's oh, like, oh, someone teaches someone how to play a video game. Yeah, and they're like the guy. Coming. He's a nerd in the beginning, and he's like a loser. But you know, right. he comes back and he gets the girl. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this in particular is because I am more and more convinced that it's our future may lie in some artificially created world and that people are more interested and more attracted every day to virtual reality yeah augmented reality virtual reality and what can jamie what was that game the one game where um there was uh, you the, it created worlds i was gonna pull that up earlier and ask it's called no man's sky oh i played that i, I played that i bought it because of course any space game i'm like yeah. right it's boring um, though it is because you know they have 80 trillion worlds but right. they're all this they're basically they don't look that different you know so it's like oatmeal 80 million bottles uh, of there's nothing happening over there. It's yeah. not like you go there and people are shooting each other and stealing money. No, and, no. What is better yeah. for that kind of, Yeah, right. I mean, it's you know, it looked like it was beautiful, but what's better is um, Elite Dangerous. So after this, I was so disappointed in this, uh, I went back and I found Elite Dangerous, which actually You were just has, disappointed in this because there was no action. Yeah, there was no... You just ran around and you mined stuff. It was sort of like... It just wasn't, you know... Nothing exciting. There was nothing yeah. exciting. There was no... You know, there was no... So, like I said, I don't usually play sort of these massive multiplayer games. So this is Elite Dangerous? This is Elite Dangerous. And it is, man, the trading... Or, you know, you can decide, like, oh, I want to be a, I want to be Ooh. a bounty hunter, you know? Graphics, um, incredible. And it was so rich. I, I just... I spent... There was like a good six months of my life that I was like, you know, working my way, getting better shit. I became because you know who doesn't want to be a bounty hunter, right? You know right. what I'm saying? Like that's what everybody's. And this just this game had you know, and there's like I don't know a few hundred thousand people in there, you know, creating the universe. It's evolving. They add storylines, so you know. Well, we are uh, setting up an HTC Vive here, and uh, we're we what Jamie that means, was HTC Vive. How dare you? I know, man. It's like you know that's you it. Call PhD, yourself a done. dork. You call, you call yourself you're not a, nerd. a you're real a nerd. <laughs> um, they, You'll never not have sex again. Virtual reality. It's and it's uh, consumer virtual reality. And my friend, I've never done the, the, the Ooh, goggles. Boy. Yeah, no, I've been waiting. I've been sort of. Well, we tried to get one. Jamie uh, went out yesterday and looked. They're all sold out, so we had to order one. And so we're ordering one. We're going to have it set up in here. Um, and wow. the uh, the games 
I played the games of two years ago, and I'm sure they're way more advanced yeah. than they are now. Yeah. But there's a crazy archery game where the, you're on the top of a castle, and these little monsters that look like they could be in South Park. They're not like detailed, <laughs> right, but right. they're kind of cool looking monsters, and you shoot at them with bows and arrows, and they're trying to invade the castle. But man, it's addictive because you really look down, you see them all around you. You have like a real. So, how do you play those? This has always been my question about Like, you know, I, I, I sit on my chair and I play yeah. my video game. So, like, are you, yeah, well, so this like, is it. See, this guy has a, a thing in his hands, and he's moving around. This is like a Star Wars one, right? And there's uh, a bunch of different ones that I've so seen. So you always got to like be this. standing, right? In some sense, yes. Does that make it more these, exhausting? Don't you want to just like sit down with a well, beer and like you, you know? can? But there's also a boxing one that you get a real workout in. Wow! So it's a yeah. game, and uh, I played it over Duncan's house. So I think there's a video of it, but it's it's weird because you punch wrong. So like um, the like if I'm holding my hands like this, which is I'm holding my hands vertically where my thumbs are up, yeah. right? The boxing gloves would be horizontal, like they would be if you were punching someone. Yeah. So yeah. so it doesn't do the turn. No, doesn't. it's weird. So as you move your hands forward like this, which you really wouldn't yeah. punch like that, yeah. the 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 punches come out. So they've got to iron that That's out. That's what I was going to say. That'll be something they'll work out in yeah, time. Yeah, and make the 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 controller rotate the way a fist would. But as you're doing it, you throw real punches, and someone's throwing punches at you. And when they throw punches at you and they hit you, you see a white flash in front of you. That's good. Which makes you nervous, just like real sparring does. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and so, like, this question of, like, what are we going to do with virtual reality? Because, like I said, you know, I already, you know, I see huge potential for, like, education in gaming. And that's why we we built our game. Yeah, here's, Um, this is me over Duncan's house. (laughs) Just don't want anybody to walk by, you know. I got to go get a beer. Bam! I'm beating this guy up, moving around him. See, that's the thing. I always wonder. (laughs) Duncan got pissed because that guy was fucking dunking up every day. He's like, dude, how did you beat it? I was like, move around. Don't stand right in front (laughs) of that thing. Yeah, yeah. Just punch it in the face. Got to do the rope and dope. Well, you got to have footwork and movement. But you you can really get a workout with that. I'm not joking. Like, you get exhausted. Yeah. And, you know, you, you keep going and fight tougher and tougher opponents. Right. Well, you know, that's the, and that's the question, you know, so like talk about haptic suits, like yes. where eventually, you know, you're going to wear things. I didn't see the, I, I read the book, but I didn't see the, uh, what was it, the movie that just, uh, um, Ready, Set, Ready Player One? I didn't see it either. I didn't see it. Have you read the book? The book's no. really good. Because the book is like full immersion. Like the whole mm. book is about like when virtual reality is it. And so everybody has these suits that, you know, and you're kind of in this ball, you play the game in a ball right. so you can run and, you know. Um, but in some sense, yes, we're just starting out along these lines. Well, they have these places you can go that they have a warehouse set up and you go inside and Right. It. And I, I went through one with my kids, and it's a Star Wars one at Disneyland. <gasps> yeah. Dude, it's fucking wild. Yeah, you totally go across, you're walking across this platform. Like they have all these different places where you actually walk through. Yeah. And as you're walking through, you look to the left and to the right, and there's fire. But you feel the heat from the fire. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. so they've then, got like heaters set up so that it blows. Yep, and stormtroopers start shooting at you. This is it right here. What is it called? The Void. The Void, yeah. And um, you do this, I'm telling you, man, this is better than any of the rides at Disneyland, and it's just outside of Disneyland, in downtown Disney, so you don't have to pay to get into Disneyland to get it, but it costs, I think it's $35 for half an hour. It's not cheap, but- It's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's not like, you know- But it's it's fucking awesome. I mean, it is awesome. Yeah. So so the question is, what happens with all this, right? Future, right? Because, yeah, virtual reality, we're just on the cusp of it, right? We're just beginning- 
to like start playing around with these technologies because people have been saying it for years and it kind of sucked. It was sort of clunky. Well, and, we're you know. we're we used to play pong, right? Boop, boop, That's what boop, I started boop. with. How right? old are you? I'm uh, 55. Yeah, I'm 50. So yeah. I remember doot, pong. Doot, we were doot, excited. Doot, I can't doot, believe I'm doot, controlling doot, the TV. I know. I'm making the this thing so move cool. on the TV. Or asteroids. Yes. When we flew the. Um, oh yeah. It was man. a Star Wars game. I don't think it was called asteroids, but you flew through the trench yes. and everything. It was just like fucking wireframe. Yeah. But it was amazing to us. I love that. I dropped a lot of quarters. Sure. So. Go from that to yeah. what you were showing us here with these yeah. crazy new space games. Yeah. And yeah. then imagine what these, I mean, the Star Wars thing today, the void, is really cool. But you know that it's not real. Right. But it's cool. Right. But right. you know it's not real. Yeah. Well, you're not going to be able to tell it's not real in 20 years. Yeah, yeah, right. And how much time are and people going to spend there? And you wear a haptic suit, by the way, right. when you do this. Oh, you, oh really? You so there's still like pressure. On you, and you, you feel it when you're getting shot. Wow. You feel like... And, you know, it's funny, even with the controller on my crappy PS4, huh, um, you know, when it vibrates, when you, you know, yeah. like even that's enough yeah. to sort of give you, it's something. amazing how much the, the brain sort of yeah. picks up on these signals. When you're using the HTC Vive and you draw the arrow back, when it gets to the knocking point, you feel it like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and you release. There's a feeling in your hand yeah. releasing the arrow. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So what happens when, and you know, I, right, I can be sort of like, you know, grandpa and be like, that's terrible. People should be going out in nature, which right. I think they should be. They should. You know, for now. Um, but, you know, I always, I, I'm always aware, whenever I'm sort of like, oh, shit, this is going to be terrible, I always remember the whole, you can see in, like, I think at some point Socrates, you know, 2,005 years, 500 years ago, is like, oh, kids today, they're all a bunch of, you know, assholes. Right. Um, so, you know, who knows what we'll do with it? And, you know, hopefully, and maybe it'll help, you know, maybe, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think there is, I don't want to be like, oh, that's terrible. But there clearly are, there's going to be dangers with is it. Is this a right? different game, Jamie? This is a new one. Oh boy, I'm <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I am gonna be fucked. Oh, you're that's shooting wild at these. with the yeah, just the hands. Yeah, and so you're you have two little hand controllers, and yeah. one of them would be the arrow, and the other one would be the bow. And you wear them, and that's the haptic part. And it'll there's yeah. just there's controllers on them. Well, you feel the arrow vibrating against the riser of the right. bow as you draw it back right. too. It's really cool. Well, it's funny because, you know, we talked about, like, you know, for the, the game that we built, which was awesome. It was really a lot of fun to actually go through the process of, like, how do you, you know, how do you script it? How do you teach people? You know, like, because that whole thing that when we get in a good, when, when you're in a good game, right, you know, in the first couple hours of a game and you're just learning the basic stuff and you get excited. You're like, oh, this is, this is a cool world to be in. Um, but I'd be interested to think, like, sort of, you know, at some point I did try VR for the same thing. Because what can you, once you can ta have people be tactile and they're not just sort of in their head, what else can you do to sort of show them, teach them things, you know? Like yeah. glaciers or, you oh, know, I mean. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's another thing in um, Disneyland. They have a thing called Soaring Over the World that you sit in a chair and you, you get raised up and there's a giant like IMAX style screen and it flies you over these yeah. environments. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Right. And you different smells are in the air and the different places That's that you go to. Like that. when you go over it's the elephant. Yeah, yeah, the elephants, you smell grass and hay. Yeah. And um, I think that it's just a matter of time. Like as we were talking about before, where biological entities might not be necessary for space travel. Right. You might be able to send a robot, put on a suit, and be able to experience these worlds right, right. like in real time. Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, you know the simulation argument? Yeah. That's the philosophy argument yes. about the, you know. And so that's a really interesting idea. Should we just run through it for people who don't sure, know it? Sure, please okay. do. So I forgot who it was. Nick Bostrom? No, maybe not. Uh, Brandon Carter. You know, there's this, uh, this guy, philosopher, who came up with this brilliant argument for, like, why we're probably a simulator. We're probably somebody else's simulation, self-aware right. simulation. And the idea is, like, look, if you get one, you know, we've been talking about, like, civilizations, when they get a million years ahead, what can they do? That they're so powerful, they can build computers 
computers that can simulate reality, like fully simulate reality, where like, you know, just like in the Matrix, you have programs that are self-aware. And so, you know, once they get to that and they start running simulations of the world, right, it's cheaper to run, it's cheap to run simulations. So they just run trillions of them, right? So the idea is that from that argument, there's more simulated realities than there is the one real reality. So odds are, right, you know, if there's a trillion simulated realities and one real reality, you're probably in a simulated reality. So yeah. are we a, you know, everything like right now, you and I think this is real, you know, but what we are is an incredibly detailed and we are self-aware programs in, you know, a silicon matrix of, you know. Uh, so that argument is brilliant. I mean, you know, I mean, just from the, just from the point of view of like numbers, um, yeah, there's lots of reasons to say well, that's not possible, but but it's you know it raises this issue of like yeah, what is simulation? If you were in a simulation, the whole matrix thing. If you were in a simulation that was that real, how would you know? Yeah, yeah. how could you know? There one are, day we're going to be if you right. allow technology to continue, right? right. If, if if we keep moving forward at an exponential pace, there's going to come a point in time where we have something that's indistinguishable from reality. Right. So right. how do we know that we're not already in it? Yeah. You know, and so, once we're in it, will we create another reality? Will we continue to create simulations inside of simulations, like yeah. fractals? Yeah. I mean, fractals exist in nature. They exist everywhere in the universe. And there's there's also the argument that the atomic structure itself might really be, be. a universe. Right, right. Yeah, dude. which is, dude, that's super stoner talk. <laughs> that's but, but, you know, it's really, I mean, what, that's why I love science fiction. You know, the explorations of these ideas... You know, I mean, they're way out there, and they're but, but they're you know, fun there's, exercises. They're fun exercises, and there's a way in which, again, when you think a million, two million years in the future, this is why my one of you know, I hate to loop this back to climate change, but just like God, if we could just make it through, who the fuck knows what we're gonna be? Right, right. I mean, there's the there's the whole universe. One thing I did like about um, Interstellar was the idea that like our future selves, which have now become integrated in the very fabric of reality, mm. you know, that's how far you've evolved. You become the laws of physics that they're kind of opening up the wormhole for us. Yeah. And so, you know, a million years is so long that yeah, who knows what we can become. I mean, it's just like, you know, don't hold us back. Right? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of the people that uh, deny science, but one thing I am a fan of is watching them do it. <laughs> like like watching monkeys throw shit at the zoo. Yeah. It's just something weird about watching yeah. people argue like really obvious right-wing talking points yeah. and 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 most of them by the way have no financial interest in climate change right, right. one way or the other they're not they're not the the wealthy elite yeah. they're these weirdos that are yeah. like vampire familiars like they want to be recognized as like an an ally yeah. of of the elite they yeah. think somehow or another that's oh, going to that get sad? them in that's really what it is right yeah, yeah that the you know and it's like you know and again it's the tribalism but the, as you said it's like watching them do this and part, the the part that's so frustrating is just that like dude you're using science it's yes. not fair of it's course. not fair that like oh you get like you know you get uh, into an accident and you're like oh god please give me the mri and then you know, as soon right. as your arm heals, you're going to be tweeting about how, like, you know, climate change is all bullshit. The earth and, is flat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with that, right? Oh, I mean, are boy. those guys just like, I mean, is this something we should, like, pay attention to, or should we just be like, okay, you, you know, fine, go ahead, do your thing. Like, well, this is not I had serious. an interesting conversation with Neil deGrasse Tyson about it, and he said one of the real problems with debating these people is you elevate their profile, and they're right. never going to believe it in the first place. And right. The, the reality is there's a mental illness involved in a lot of these people. They're yeah. schizophrenic. Yeah. There's, yeah. There, there's something wrong with them. Right. They believe this. And right. then there's this, there's this 
massive lack of education and lack of reading. Yeah. They, they're not interested in understanding how they know that the Earth is yeah. round or how they know that every other planet in the solar system is round right. or how they know that every other planet that we've observed, all the stars are right. round, why right. they're round, right. why it's a matter of mass and gravity and all these. They don't yeah. care about all that. But the, what they want to think is the government as if it's the government is like one cabal That's what it is. of equally minded people that are all working together to fuck you over yeah. somehow by convincing you that the Earth is round. Yeah. It is one of the dumbest things, but it's also a sign that we've created this world that's really easy to survive in. We've nerfed all the hard edges, and we keep the wolves off the streets, yeah. and there's so these fucking dum-dums, yeah. uh, and then they get online with yeah. computers, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah. yeah, So these idiots make- I did research. Yeah. Oh, when you looked at a website? That's YouTube not videos. research, it's man. It's YouTube videos. Yeah, right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's kind of stunning. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I think your point about actually we've made the world so safe, because, yeah, yeah there's a certain way, like, you know, in, in hunter-gatherer, those people would be food. Those yes. are the people who are standing there looking at the tiger being yeah. like, that's not a tiger. Yeah, it's yeah, not a tiger, exactly. man. You know, and exactly. then orange. Yeah. You know, so uh, so it's and it's right. But what's weird about that? So that is like the the ur exam. Like that is the dumbest shit you could possibly imagine. So, but oh, there's dumber. Oh God, there's please, dumber. Don't. There's people who think there's aliens underneath the earth, and there's tunnels, oh, and yeah. there's reptilians, yeah, and yeah. and there's a secret cabal of kid fuckers that run the world and you you made a really excellent point just a minute ago right which is because like the philosopher Karl Popper once said if there was a conspiracy it failed right the whole conspiracy thing is that like oh yeah everybody's in on it like as if like look there are the powerful there are the you know there's elites who control you know but they have their own agendas they're beating the it's the whole history of the world they're going after each other left and right right. and it's about finances right right and the idea that like oh somebody's going to be able to keep this amazing secret right you know about the the earth is flat. flat and never I mean you know it just it gives people way more credit than you know than than they deserve well, that you would have to have everybody on the same page all the different Forever. governments yeah. all over the world <laughs> right. they're all like yeah yeah, yeah lie about right. the like where's the benefit in lying about the shape of the planet yeah right right well, to hold who's you making down, money man. who's yeah, making money yeah. but you know here's what's here's what's really messed up is that like you know climate change denial is just like a slightly less wackadoodle version yeah. of that right yeah. because you know um uh, uh, there's a, a guy writer philosopher, uh, um, uh, I forgot his name, Morton, I forgot his first name, but he talks about climate change being a hyper object, like, you know, that modern world, we have things that are hyper objects, which means they're just so big right. that we just, it's, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around them. And that hyper objects, you know, if we're going to evolve, right, we're going to evolve new behaviors. One of them is the capacity to deal with hyper objects, but people want everything to be simple, you know? Mm. I mean, which cracks me up because like, they're fine with this being complex, you know, their cell phone can be complex because they like to use it. But like, you know, the idea that like you know uh, the climate could change climate change they they need it it freaks them out because it's too complicated or something so they go for the simple answer which is that you know it's a it's a conspiracy it's a hoax the i love this one the scientists are all doing it for the money well, yeah, as think, if my pay was that good that you know i mean i think a big issue happened with al gore when al gore came out with an inconvenient truth everybody connected al gore with the left he's a democrat yeah. and then they found out that he flies private jets and they're like this motherfucker yeah. and so they're like this is all bullshit yeah. and so there was enough there's enough holes yeah. where they started poking through and then looking for conspiracies and then looking to deny the whole thing. I totally agree. I really wish, you know, I got nothing against Al Gore, but but I wish he did, hadn't. I, mean, I wish he didn't become the face of climate yeah. change because it just pushed. I mean, if only, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson or if Sagan right. was still alive or, you know, had done it, it would have been a totally different thing because well, it wouldn't have had this. it off of it. 
in an extreme way. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But but you know, pull up this article. Al Gore may be the first um, climate change billionaire or green billionaire. That he's he's made so much money doing these seminars and speeches yeah, and yeah, the, the film yeah, itself, and yeah. then they're doing and then a people sequel become, to the film, right? And then people, be, I think it actually came out. It didn't do that well. Uh, and sec- then people and then, came out already. I think so. Yeah. I thought I saw. I don't Al know. Al Gore could be the fir- world's first carbon billionaire. Yeah. Former vice president become the world's first carbon billionaire well, after investing heavily in green energy. Well, no, companies. that's okay. That part's okay, right? Because if he's investing in these companies and the companies start making money, which like already so sure, solar employs more people now than coal does. You that's know? amazing. Well, um, coal. But well, that was one of the dumbest things when when Trump became president. They're gonna bring back coal. Like, what? How about bring back knocking <laughs> rocks together to start fires? No, it's like the fuck, it's man. As if coal. It's, it's as if the typewriter companies got yeah. together and made sure you never bought a computer. Like, right. we're gonna make computers illegal because right. you got to keep using typewriters. Right. Coal's yeah. fucking terrible. It's oh terrible man, and you don't the need board. it anymore. It's like you know, it's yeah. just. And, but listen, I gotta. I mean, one thing that you always gotta acknowledge is that, like this, you know, when you change infrastructures, people are gonna get hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, for those coal miners, man, that's what they've done their whole life. Yes. It's been an honorable fucking thing. And they've, you know, so you can't just sort of be like, hey, we're switching infrastructure. See ya. Yeah. You know, there's got to be some deep understanding of, of, of navigating, of consequences and helping people who are going to be, yeah. you know, put, you know, t- train them how to put up soul, you know, solar panels. How do you feel about universal basic income? Have you ever looked into that? Oh, yeah, that? yeah. No, no. I've thought about that a lot. You know, it's, it's a, a big thought when in right. consideration when it comes to automation right. yeah. and technology and you know with the automation thing it's so true right because you know when you think about what's been going on with the last election you know and everybody was like oh you know like you know what's happening with blue collar people you know bl- bl- workers and being, which is totally true but like man it's not china it's automation right and that's what's, yeah. I mean, what really is going to screw up the whole nature of work you know for everybody from truck drivers you know mm-hmm. even to me to university professors is we got this the ai you know the automation right. coming on and right what do you do what do you do, do you when feel there's no like more being work being a university professor is one day going to be retro that that kids are going to want to learn online they're going to want to learn through uh, some sort of an interactive course that you can get on your phone rather than go to an actual physical place? It's possible, you know? I mean, it's possible, but I think, and this is going to be the whole question with the new economy, or right? whatever, whatever happens, whatever we're moving into, is finding those places where, you know what? I don't want a machine. Right. You know what I mean? So right now, like, so when the, what is it? The MOOCs came out, the massively online courses. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like five years ago. Everyone's like, that's it. Universities are done. Everybody's going to take these online courses. And it never happened, you know? Because people want to be together. They want to learn. They want the experience of happy, you know? My, part of my students, it's not just lecturing, though I'm a great lecturer. I don't know. My <laughs> students are probably like, I bet you are, man. You're a good talker. <laughs> I had one student say, I, you know, the the, the uh, reviews you get at the end, the guy said, hey, I hate to say this, but, you know, you should make those uh, tapes for people to go to sleep because every class your voice put me to sleep. And he meant it in a nice way. He's like, you have a nice voice, you know. Oh. Um, That's but, passive aggressive for yeah. sure. <laughs> So uh, fuck whoever it is. <laughs> um, I think that uh, I think people will always with education. There'll be some component of it that yeah, sure you can learn it online. Why to? But I think like you know we're gonna have to. There'll there'll be there'll be a place for like people coming in and like learning in groups and having somebody who like has you know spent their whole life studying the thing telling you 
you know, what's going on. Right. Like there's a lot of things where like, and we've lost a lot of this um, uh, mentorship, right? Yeah. Or apprenticeship, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of things you need somebody who know, you know, who spent their whole life going, oh, you know, you, you crank it this way, not that way. Because if you crank it that way, it'll never work. You know, right. you can't learn that from watching a video or something. So yeah. It's like, uh, well, there's certain things, uh, martial arts, which is a big part of my life. You yeah. have to learn from a person. You got to have right. tiny things that they must show you while you're right. doing it. But you can learn a lot of things from videos. Um, no, that, no, no doubt. No yeah, doubt. there's a yeah. lot of things that people are putting up online, instructional courses and stuff. And, and I use some of them, you know, if I have to fix my sink. I'm like, okay, how does this work? Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of amazing, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think like with everything, so let, we'll circle back to the uh, UBI. Um, you know, like with everything, we're going to have to invent new ways. We will, because we're just human beings. Like there's a way in which we're going to find, you know, niche places that there will be economies where people make things. But yeah, in the end, I mean, UBI may be necessary. Yeah. I mean, it may, I think it may really be necessary because if there's no work, you know, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, you yeah. know, for your democratic society. You know? Yeah. I just hope we can move past this idea that everybody who needs that is some sort of a welfare brat. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, you know, once there's no work at all, you know, yeah. I mean, they're going to, because like, you know, this is the, the, the thing that I, like with the uh, um, self-driving cars, right? So I, I asked this question a lot and I've written about this sort of like, okay, everyone's like, we got to have self-driving cars. We're heading towards self-driving cars. Like self-driving cars will destroy the last good blue collar job in America, you know, truck driving, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a you know, really good livelihood for a lot of people. And it's like, oh, we're just going to eliminate it. It's like, Why? Like, do we have to? Like, okay, yeah, there's, you're telling me there's well, going to be- safety's sake. That's what they say, right? But until, right. it's not entirely clear, right? You know, that that, that will work. And, I, you know, what are the, for the for the lives that are lost in the driving, I mean, you know, you know the car crashes, is that going to be worth the social upheaval that comes from not having any work anymore? So, I mean, just like, there are these huge yes. issues bearing down on us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if it's your friend or your mom or well, your know, loved right. ones or- Yeah, but these are the yeah. kind of calculus. I mean, you know, if, if it, if it tears down, if the if wiping out these jobs destroys democracy, right? Oh. And you end up with, you know, That fascism. seems silly, though. That doesn't seem possible. I, I just think that what it's going to do is going to make travel safer. And then we have to figure out, well, these jobs that people got right. from traveling, how do we replace that that income? Yeah, right. Well, one of the things is we're going we're gonna to have to start teaching kids to be creative. Yeah. Well, that's mean, the niche stuff. I think there's going to yeah. be places where, like, the, now you'll have. So, listen, I'm not arguing that we shouldn't have. No, I know you're not. You're just being. You're just looking at all the variables. Yeah, and I'm asking, like, the. You know, we're moving so rapidly into this new world, right? That, like, who's deciding for us? Who's deciding that we want car? You know, right. that we want, you know? I right. mean, we're told that we're going to get it, but like, a lot of these things, I think there. You know, there needs to be a little bit more. Dialogue, it's a democracy, right? Yeah. And having this stuff shoved down our throats and told like it's the best thing ever, you know. I mean, well, you know, how about cell towers? They're fucking everywhere. I mean, there's no getting away from it, right? If you could, I mean, is there a community anywhere that's made some sort of an agreement? Will there be no cell towers yeah. in our community? Yeah. No, but there are communities that have decided to, like in the Southwest, that no lights, no lights at night. That's amazing. Yeah, because yeah, they wanted should, to preserve their night sky. We should really have yeah. some sort of a day yeah. where everybody shuts everything off. And sees the sky. And right? see how crazy right. it is that we live in this weird state where we're on an organic spaceship yeah. flying through infinity. Yeah, yeah. And, and we don't see that, right? Because, no. you know, if you're, you know, when you do backpacking or something, you're in the backcountry, you know, a couple of days you notice things changing, like, oh, the moon's not as quiet yes. as, you know? And, and you so see. nobody looks up now anymore, right? Because right? there's nothing to see. You don't you see know. anything because of light right. pollution. I right. went to the Keck Observatory on the Big Island. Oh, man. 
Have you been? I've never been. I'm a theorist. I don't, you know, nobody's going to get me close to a telescope. I'll break it. fucking just, you don't even have to go all the way to the observatory, the visitor station, which is, I, I forget where it's at. I think it's... 14 or, or, or 12 or something, something like 10. that. Yeah, it's yeah. really high. Right. But there's they have diffused lighting all over the Big Island, so there's no light pollution. Yeah. And when you look up, it is just stunning. Right. You look up, you're like, wow. The Milky Way, right? And most people have all. never seen the Milky Way. Yeah. It's right? right there. Right. Like I thought you have to have a telescope to see all. No, it's no, right there. Right there. Yeah. And you feel like you're flying through space. Yeah. And you have this this really humble feeling that I think people get in a couple of different places. People get when they live next to mountains, yep. they get it when they live next to the ocean, yep. but you really get it yeah. if you could see space. Yeah. And I think one of the, the things that is haunting the human race is the arrogance of humans, which is compounded by the fact that we can't see the cosmos, that we only see what's in front of us. So this is the world that we live in. We put a roof over our head. Right. This is the box. I got my blinders on. I'm moving ahead because I want a new Lexus or whatever, you know, whatever it is, whatever material thing you're trying to possess. When this... This unstoppable force in front of it. When you look up and you see the cosmos, it's like it's an undeniable reality. Right. right. And you go, oh, okay, okay. This is just a small thing. Uh, m- my existence is just a small thing in this mystery, this giant mystery of what you know. We're, we just found out twenty years ago. There's planets out there. Right. I mean, this is right. a giant mystery. Right. You're looking up at a hundred billion stars yeah. in this galaxy alone. Man, I couldn't. You're speaking my language. I yeah. mean, the, you know, the loss. Well, and the, myth, the 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 capital M word, right? So I'm a scientist. I'm an atheist, but I believe in mystery. I believe that mm. kind of at the core of our lives is just. This, I wake up every day and I'm freaking here, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be here until I die, and then I have no idea what the hell happens. Right. So you know, and the as you said, like mountain mountains in particular. You know, I have a thing for mountains. Um, Me too. But the the night sky is it's it reminds you it opens that space up, right? You know, where yeah. you're sort of like. You know, and you're right. You can, you know, we can talk about it, right? We can talk about, but it's really, it's an experience. It's the experience that just shows you, you're part of this. It's more than you, but you're, you're here. And, you know, and I think, right, a lot of the stupidity of the modern age, you know, as you said, the consumerism in particular, like all that matters to me is getting my next pile of shit. Um, When you're out there, you realize who cares, you know, who freaking cares? Like, you know, for a moment, even you just get the sense of that mystery and it can be transformative, you know? I think what's happening is we've created these civilizations. The civilizations need to be lit up. The lights keep us from seeing the universe. The universe humbles us, so we're not humbled. Then we move towards acquiring physical possessions, material objects, because we think that that's going to make us happy. And our entire society is geared towards innovation because everybody wants the newest shiniest shit to and that us. is right. yeah. that is what's leading us to artificial life yeah and that all this shiny shit is all innovation and it's eventually going to move to this one singularity and that singularity is some new being yeah being so it's funny like because you know one thing when i i think about like uh you know all these other you know my my argument about all these other civilizations is that you know the whether or not you make it Maybe that the evolutionary heritage you get, right? So we, uh, you know, evolved from you know both chimpanzees or you know the chimpanzee ancestor and the bonobo ancestor. So we've got like we fight. We're hierarch. We're very hierarchical, right? Um, so uh, you know we've got a lot of aggression in this, but we also got the bonobo kind of like let's just have sex. Everything's cool. So we're like we're sort of we've got this really weird mixed evolutionary baggage. And whether or not you can make it to the next side with the the existential challenge of trigger and climate change is kind of like. A, what your evolution, what evolution gave you, you know, because you can imagine species like hive minds, you know, if you came from termite, an intelligent termite species, it might be a lot easier to deal with climate change. You're like, everybody, you know, get on the, you know, uh, get on the, get on the, the, the course. Um, but uh, uh, the, 
most essentially is can you evolve new behaviors, yeah. right? So we've been on this track and it's leading us in a way that, as you said, it's like the, the shiny thing dangling in front of us is leading us off on this one track. And the question is, can we evolve new behaviors, which I actually am going to say this, I think they're part of it is spiritual, you know, or at least in my atheist way of like reconnecting with mystery to see like, uh, you know, we're part of this and we need to respect it. And, you know, what do you, when you say spiritual, what do you mean? So my first book was about science and religion. And I, you know, I'm an atheist, but I'm not a Richard Dawkins atheist. I think that whole idea- What is the difference? Well, you know, Richard Dawkins is what I would call a strident atheist. And he's like, you know, anybody who has any spiritual or any, you know, any inclination towards mystery is an idiot, you know? And like- Richard Dawkins needs to do LSD. Right, in a certain way, right? Or DMT or psilocybin or something that just- gives you an undeniable experience right. of mystery. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I've been doing Zen meditation for like the last 30 years, you know, and like, you know, so I've been staring at a wall for 30 years. And the first thing you learn is it's really boring. And then the second thing you learn is that there's stuff under your thoughts. You are not just the shit you're thinking. You know, there's just sort of you settle down and there's just like this openness, you know. And so um, the spiritual part, it's like you said, you know, when you're in the mountains, right? So I love doing backcountry hiking. And you know, when you get above tree line, there's weird thing that happens when you're above tree line and you're just like, you know, you got this panorama around you and that thing is, you know, the earth, right? Of yeah. which we are part. And, you know, so this is an interesting question about like, can virtual reality do this or do you actually need to get out there? I kind of think you need to get out there, but maybe virtual reality can give people the impetus to get out there, you know? Well, it'll be a different experience. I don't think there's anything wrong with the virtual reality experience of being in the mountains. I think it'd probably be pretty fucking cool, but it's not going to be being in the mountains. Right. Something about being in the mountains is also there's a there's a weird feeling, and I don't know if it's real, but there's a weird feeling that there's no signal out there. Because yeah. in the places where there's no cell signal, there's yeah. no there's a feeling you get when you're absolutely not connected. Yeah. And then you see wildlife, and the wildlife out there, they're almost like these mystical beings. Like when you see a deer step out of the, of the tree line and it's and like Catch that, its eye. Yeah. yeah. That thing has been that way for a million yeah. years. Yeah. That's, that species has not changed at all in a million years. Yeah. yeah. And the signal, what you're talking about, the signal, it's, it's really the thing is what for me, it's like when I get far enough back that I know there's just not another human being here. Right. You know? Yeah. And this is like, when I leave, this exact is, this is going to still be happening. Like yep. it just doesn't give a shit about you, yeah. right? And it's just moving along. And as you said, it's been moving this way for millions of years. And you just realize like, and that's why, you know, part of the thing I'm saying with the, the book is that like, look, if we trigger climate change, the, that's just the earth's way of like creating the next set of, you know, it, right. they'll just, it used us to create climate change to, you know, now move on to something else. Cause right. that's what the earth does. It's just this animate power, you know? And when you're out there, you feel that. And you, you know, and the thing that I think we need to do is sort of reestablish our connection to that. We're part of that. We're from that. We're not evil. We're not bad. We need to reintegrate ourselves in a way that we still get our civilization, but you know, that's what I mean. So yes, why spiritual? Because when we connect to that mystery, then we're in a better place to make the right decisions, to understand what the decisions are. If not, we're like, oh, we got to save the polar bears. And we're not looking at, no, no, it's the biosphere as a whole that we have to understand. Well, operating out of ego and ideology and not out of rational thought with all of the information at our disposal and really verifying that information, understanding what's correct and what's not correct and whether or not there's bias behind it or scientific research that was funded by people that have a vested interest in it leaning one way or the other. Right. 
all that stuff is very, very slippery and right. very dangerous. And when you find out that studies have been influenced by special interest groups or, you know, lobbyists or whatever, and that they, you know, like especially pharmaceutical studies are the creepiest, where they, they can do a, a series of studies and only one of them shows some sort of a positive impact for whatever weird reason, yeah. and that's the one they use. Yeah. And they don't have to publish the fact that they ran a hundred yeah. fucking studies. Right, right, right. Well, you no, know? you know, I try and teach people, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. That, um, you know, science, I think the most important thing that people need to understand about science is not so much science's results, but how science works, you know, because it does work, right? That's why we have all this stuff. And so, so they can distinguish. So I, I, you know, I say that science is three things. It's spitballs, super tankers, and stadiums, right? You know, the problem with the news, it'll be like, the latest study shows the color red, you know, will make you have better sex. It's like, what are you talking, you know, the <laughs> latest... Just- the latest study that can get you to click on that USA Today article. Yeah, right, That's, exactly. And so media reports is as if this was science. Like right. every day, a whole bunch of new articles come out. You know, I write scientific articles. That's the currency of my profession. But like one study is is just like, it's a spitball, right? It's yeah. like basically we're shooting spitballs at each other. But science is like a super tanker, right? You know, we're like, it takes seven miles to turn a super tanker around. That's what really science is. The things that we think we un- deeply understand in science is like this super tanker. And people are shooting spitballs. That's the papers every day. And if you get enough spitballs on one side of the, you know, the prow or whatever, it starts to turn it, right? Mm. So the science will turn slowly if enough of the spitballs are lined up. So people, you know, it's not about the single study. It's about have there been 300 studies over the last you know 30 years that say the same thing. So like you know the coffee stuff. Coffee's good. Coffee's bad. Clearly, the fact that we keep getting both answers means we don't know. That's all. We don't know yet. It's just not clear. Climate change. 30, not even 30 years. 100 years of the same results. Yeah, we got that. You know. Well, there's always a problem with diet in that you're not taking into account how nutrients interact with other foods, or or different foods interact right. with foods and different. You know, I mean, you know, when you say coffee's bad, okay, was it bad when you're smoking cigarettes? Yeah. Or bad when you're eating grass-fed meat or right. bad when you're on a vegan diet? Like, right. When is it bad? Right. And right. who are these people and what are they putting in their system and how much right. sugar are they taking in and right. how much sodium and, you know, what what's the nutrient levels of their blood? Did you test them for B12 deficiencies and all these different things? Like, that's the real problem with any dietary studies. Like, they don't take into account the extremely varied diet of And the complexity beings. of the system, right? So yes. that's, I mean, so I would tell people that, like, you know, when comes to like health sciences, anything in general about human beings, look, this stuff is really complex. And as you said, there's a thousand different things that can interact. So you got to really take that stuff with a grain of salt. Like, okay, does smoking cause cancer? Yeah, got that, you know? But like, yeah, is coffee good or bad? We just, the studies aren't there yet, you know? But that's different from climate change or, you know, uh, gravity, you know, or is the Mm -hmm. earth round? Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are stupid. (laughs) So, um, listen, man, thank you very much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. It was really good to talk to you. It was fun. Uh, Do you have an audio book out? Uh, yeah, there is an audio book. Did you read it? I have not. I mean, did I read the, did you read the words that that are in the audio book version? Did you, were you narrating it? No. You no. weren't? No, I didn't. God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. They Why didn't did ask. they do that? I don't know. They never but asked you're really me. good at talking. Oh, yeah, what the fuck, <laughs> man? Dude, they, I could have been really animated. You know? I hate that. When I, really, when I buy audiobooks and I know that the guy who's reading it doesn't have a yeah. fucking single bone you know, invested mm. in 
this idea that he's saying. He's just repeating the words. Well, the guy, I'm sure it. whoever did it was like, you know, totally channeling. I must have yeah. felt it in the astral plane. It would be like better if you it. read it, man. They should have let you do it. Yeah, I don't Why know. Why the fuck didn't they let you do it? I don't know. I just did know you that's... push for it? Uh, no, I didn't even know, you know, that part of the, you oh. know, I didn't, I didn't right, understand part of uh, publishing. Tell people the, the title again. Uh, Light of the Stars, Alien Worlds, and the Fate of the Earth. Dun, dun, dun. dun, 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 dun. your Twitter is? I, uh, Adam Frank 4. Why 4? Because that's the only one. That, everything else was taken. So I was just uh, like, oh, I got to come up with a uh, know, okay. six years ago when I got on. Adam Frank 4. And do you have an Instagram as well? No. No? Okay. I have a, a Facebook author page. And website? Uh, website is Adam Frank Science, I think. If you just Google Adam Frank, it'll okay. pop up. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was so it was much really fun, fun, man. Yeah, Thank it was you. really a lot of fun. Bye. <laughs>